still remembers Pampiro Furpo? Who booked the screw job in Montreal? Who has a good friend named Weasel Dooley? Everyone knows it's corny. Who managed Bobby Eaton and Condry? Who managed Stan Lane and Dr. Tom? Who's sick and tired of Kenny Olivier? Everyone knows it's corny. Who took a shoot, fought off of the scaffolding? Who bled a gusher in a white suit? Who said Ronnie Garvin went up like the challenger? Everyone knows it's corny. It's Jim Cornette's drive through He'll answer questions from you And he won the pony too Thank you, fuck you, bye 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 Hello again, friends! And you are our friends, and the heat is on! And welcome back to another edition of Jim Cornette's drive through right here on this day where many of you have put the heat on. I'm your host, the great Brian Last. We have questions, I believe some reviews, and a whole lot more with this man, the star of this drive through and so many drive throughs throughout this great land of ours, Mr. Jim Cornette. Yeah, the heat is on, but not here at the castle. Because, by the way, I didn't mention to you before we came on the air, oh, great Brian Last, and thank you for that wonderful introduction, that they've turned the propane off while they're changing. I got the crew now changing my, my new furnace and my new air conditioning unit and, and the whole thing for the new remodel. That's being put in now, but there's no, they have a, they've turned the propane off because they're having to move a couple of things over a foot to the left including some of my decorative fencing that is now decorating the fucking garbage dump. Uh, that's going to be rebuilt. But no, I have no heat in the house right now. But fortunately, it's going to be a fine day here in Louisville, Kentucky, 70-something degrees. It was chilly this morning, but it's going to be 70-something for about another two days, and then it's going to be down in the 20s. And it's gonna, we're gonna be freezing our colder than a well digger's ass, as Mama Cornette used to say. So how does but one that's, how does one shop for decorative fencing? One has it built from scratch. They had to get a goddamn four by four, four by four posts out of that area, out of the ground, and fucking dismantle the rest of it that was built around the air conditioning units out there and Hustle it on off. Now I'm gonna <laughs> I'm gonna be uh advertising my new carrier um or what are they? Or something else. The old ones were carrier, the new ones are something else. And they're gonna be sitting out there in plain view until I can have something else built around them. Anyway, that I'm gonna take the heat. And, and by the way, you're gonna hear some chatter. There's there's six people with the heating and air crew and four people with the painting crew outside now. So you're going to hear a little chatter and possibly some hammering every so often and the next door neighbor's dog barking over all the activity. But I apologize for that. But I didn't want to delay the show another day because we were supposed to record this yesterday where I... Brian, you got a kick out of this. The you funniest series of calls I ever received from you in my life. 
Well, I was trying to keep you updated on <laughs> what all was going on. The the house painting, and not just the remodeled area, but the whole exterior of the house being painted. But that was supposed they were supposed to be here a couple of weeks ago. And then suddenly everybody started showing up several days ago. And I remember one of the recent programs, we were trying to work around the pressure washing. Well, then after the pressure washing followed the hammering and pounding of them going through and making sure that all the siding was nailed down properly in the sun and warped and that things hadn't pulled the nails out and blah, blah, blah. And the ladders on the side of the house and the taping of every window Plastic was covering every window and door except for the garage, the only way out of the house. You couldn't see out of any of the goddamn windows. And while that was going on, I had four contractors down in the new remodel area cleaning everything up and wiping dust away because we're advancing with that situation. The paint store representative showed up to deliver some paint. The UPS guy came to bring me some more shipping supplies. I already had seven vehicles, including mine and Stacy's, in the driveway or the backyard or the side of the driveway. And then the propane truck showed up for my propane delivery. So here comes the flammable material. Or is it inflammable? It'll blow the fuck up. That's flammable. Well, it went and, and it also, so it has to get off my little road up my driveway with all these cars by the side of it. And we had to get the painting crew to stop what they were doing and get off their ladders and then help it back out through the gate and flag and stop the traffic so that we didn't have any explosions over here. And at that point, one of the painters' wives showed up to bring his kids because she apparently had to go to work or something. And, and so the, a cute little boy and little girl, they were frolicking in the meadow playing under the dogwood tree. And it was goddamn chaos. And that's what Stacy said. This is fucking, I can't look out a window. There's no place in the house. All this shit's piled up to sit except up here in the office where I'm supposed to be trying to do a show. And she can't take the dog out because then the dog wants to run after the children. All we needed was a dancing bear. And so she scooped Harley up and said, I'm going to Versailles for the for the day until and 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 today until the furnace replacement is done. And so then I called you back and said, Well, we we might be able to record something now because the paint store representative is left. The propane truck got out without incident. And the UPS has made the delivery. And I think the painting crew has gone to lunch. But I can't find the children. I can't find the children. I'd lost the children. It must be a pain in the ass to have to keep track of things like that 24 hours a day. Because I lost them after 20 minutes. You're leaving out the phone calls where you were whispering. Because someone was on the other side of the wall well, hammering, were, and it was so were. fucking loud that I thought it was you hitting the desk. No, they were. I said, I can't talk loud. They might hear me because they're on the other side of the wall. They're literally on the other side of my computer I'm sitting in front of, up on the roof of the, the next wing of the house and on the other side of this wall. I didn't, want to, I didn't want to make sure I didn't say anything to piss them off. When you bring up the children, I think the quote was, Brian, I see one backpack. But we can't find any kids. 
and I don't think they would be on the other side of the house. <laughs> I'll have well, to call I, you back. That was the last I heard yeah, about anything. I'm looking, I was looking everywhere. I didn't want to send out any Amber Alerts just in the in the immediate, you know, neighborhood here. But um, in the midst of all this, in the midst of me talking to you on the phone and the hammering and your whispering, <laughs> and it's just it's so funny, and I'm losing it. You say you have to call me back because Stacy calls you. Then you call me back and you're like, Stacy just called. She's losing her fucking mind with all the hammering <laughs> and the kids running around. <laughs> it was the funniest series of phone calls ever. Yeah. So we're, we're, we're late with the show a little bit this week, folks. But we do have uh, a little update from, from Raw also that we weren't originally going to figure into this deal and also and we know now also we voted and apparently democracy is hanging on by a thread again the republicans didn't have a red wave they trickled back and dripped and uh, although we still don't know <laughs> oh my god they still don't know in georgia as i'm speaking right now whether herschel walker I mean, his opponent was this well-spoken pastor of a church and upright citizen and this brain-damaged, illiterate lunatic has been babbling on like a fucking Family Guy cartoon, and there's like 0.5% difference in the votes. My God. It, it, it Again, it was a choice of sane, rational, reasonable adults or lunatics, liars, and criminals. So, of course, it was almost even. But we got, and we, we couldn't get rid of Rand Paul here in Kentucky because the hillbilly portion of the state took over. But Louisville does have a Democratic mayor, thank God, instead of the right wing lunatic that was running that's all Trumpy and anti abortion. Ab abortion even got. Supported in Kentucky, of all places, only 53 to 47 were not in favor of an amendment to the Kentucky Constitution that would make abortion illegal, even no matter how young or old the person was, no matter whether it was rape, no matter whether it was family, or no matter whether their life was at stake. No, you still can't perform this safe medical procedure. But that fortunately was voted down 53 to 47. These things are that close in the, these obvious should be one-sided. They're that close in this cut. So democracy is hanging on by. I hope the Republicans don't get mad at heart bypasses and gallbladder surgery. Yeah, Rand Paul better hope they don't get mad at people who wear wigs. Rand Paul better hope they don't get mad at fucking him for starting his own ophthalmology board so he could certify himself. I told that story years ago here on a program, fucking lunatic. No wonder is if they tried to equate Rand Paul's neighbor beating the shit out of him a couple years ago to the attack on Nancy Pelosi's husband. No, Pelosi's was politically motivated. Rand Paul's neighbor kicked the shit out of him because he's a prick. But anyway, so we're hanging on by a thread here for our worldwide listeners. Democracy just almost uh, was saved last night. We'll see what happens in the future.
they're starting to smarten up to Trump. Just if nothing else, we've just heard enough of him. We just don't want to talk about it anymore. We want him to go away. And many of Trump's candidates are going away. But Lauren Bubert, apparently on the way home, unemployed. Good, she can start escorting again. She might be better at that to what she's been doing. Well, it's your program. Yeah, it is. and uh... <laughs> But you know what? Did I mention this, that another Red Letter Day is coming up on Saturday, November 19th at noon Eastern time here again at JimCornette.com, just in time for the holidays, the brand new official Lazy Booking t-shirt with art by Danny Williams at DannyWillDraw.com. You can actually go to JimCornette.com probably by the time that you hear my voice saying these words. And on the front page, there's going to be a banner of the, the a picture of the t-shirt that goes on sale on November 19th. And just a reminder that the Jim Cornette Guy t-shirts, once we sell this current supply out, will not be restocked because of the ever-evolving merchandise line at jimcornette.com. So if you've been wanting to get one of the I'm a Jim Cornette Guy t-shirts, don't sit on the fence any longer, or you may get a splinter up your ass over it. Uh, but the lazy booking shirt on sale November 19th, and the pink and red raw variants, we're down to the last couple hundred. It's been more even than the last time where the bloody variants sold out instantly, but we're down to the last couple hundred. Santa Corny, if you want one for Christmas, we're almost finished with the backlog on the... Uh, the big orders on the on-sale date, those will be out in the next two weeks. And you got time to get Santa Corny for Christmas, and there's probably about 400 or so of those left. That is my merchandise update. Oh, great one. Hey, I just saw a picture of you on the cover of Inside the Ropes magazine, I have to say. Yes, you did see that picture also. I did see that, but between that and that recent I Was There video that Vice did of you talking about Andy Kaufman versus Jerry Lawler, I think this is the most fashionable run you've ever had. <laughs> You're finally dressing well. Well, that's because I figured out it's not as much of a pain in the ass to wear a tie when I don't have to leave the house. See, there's a trade-off there. If you got to leave the house and go somewhere, then fuck it. Fuck wearing a tie. But if you're already comfortable in your house, you can put up with the tie. Hotchkiss Featherbottom took that picture, by the way. I'll have you know that's on the cover of the new Inside the Ropes magazine that will be out shortly at all the fine booksellers and retailers that I'm aware of over there across the pond in the United Kingdom. But yeah, he took uh, quite a number of pictures of me with with the new uh, iPhone 24-7-5, BR549. It's amazing. The, you don't even need a flash. All those years ago when I was a photographer, you needed the flash and, and the goddamn, and then the phosphorus would catch on fire when you go. Well, you're not there, that old. Jesus. Well, you know, I, 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 I held Matthew Brady's fucking uh, flash cubes while he was shooting the Civil War. How does it feel to know that your irrelevancy has grown to the point where you're now on the cover of magazines in England? Well, goddamn it. That's where you go when you're irrelevant. You go to England, <laughs> right? England really? Go to England, you know. Oh, I've got to love you, my fans across the across the seas. 
pip pip and cheerio and all that sort of rot. No, it it just actually, you know, if there was a if there was a wrestling magazine still on the stands today in this country that had the fine quality paper and printing and the incredible learned editorial staff like Kenny McIntosh and James Dixon and all those and Finn Martin you know, then I would want to be on a cover in this country. But as long as it's just on the cheap pulp paper, what the hell? I'm a I'm a class kind of guy. Do you think Finn Martin has any conversations where someone asks if he's related to Quinn Martin? I swear to God, yes, I do, because that's the first thing I <laughs> 20 years ago when I did my first interview for the old Power Slam magazine with Finley Martin. But if Finn Martin is what, you know, his social circle calls him. And I said, oh, it's a Finn Martin production. And that felt like a turd in a punch bowl because he had no idea what I was talking about. But, And probably many Americans now have no idea what we're talking about. But every great TV show in the 60s, it seemed like, was a Quinn Martin production. The Fugitive, The Invaders. I could go on and on. A Quinn Martin production. So, yes, it's a Finn Martin interview. Well, wait, I got to start whispering now because I hear him on the other side of the wall. No, you don't. I swear to God, I did to the right of me. Clowns to the left of me, jokers to the right. Here I am stuck in the middle with you. Actually, they've two or three pictures fell off the wall on the west side of the office yesterday while that was going on. Which photos were they? That may be telling. No, it was just me and the heavenly bodies and Smokey. It was the Smoky Mountain Wrestling section. Uh-oh. What? You don't know. That could be... A sign. Is that some kind of say my picture falls off the wall, some bad shit's going to happen? Dr. Tom, better watch out. Fuck. And well, wait a minute, let me see what other pictures that way. Well, I, oh shit, I got news for you. What was the other one? There was a, a poster that everybody that's still alive that was at <laughs> Fire on the Mountain 94 better watch out too, because one of those was a poster. Anyway. It's your program here. That's right. Did you hear about Sammy Zane's tweet? I got to mention this at the top of the program. You you saw this, didn't you? I did see this. Sammy Zane tweeted, I don't know if you could call him tweeting me, but my old friend Sammy's the former El Generico, one of the copy and paste websites, I can't remember who, but it wasn't anybody important, but they picked up a quote from one of our programs and ran with it. And basically the headline in the article was Jim Cornette says, Sammy Zane, his favorite person to watch on TV or words to that effect. And as for, I was talking about, he's been hilarious and the whole bloodline thing and blah, blah, blah. We've been talking about it. And so Sammy on his Twitter copy and pasted that headline, that article from that, site or whatever and put up at the top my dot 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 dog <laughs> and now me and sammy after all this time who would have thought we're 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 dogs we're dog well maybe i don't know one of us is dog and the other one's a cat maybe we we still fight like cats and dogs no um he was always the more personable one between him and steen steen was actually the the biggest pain in the ass Sammy was just a minor pain in the ass. At least he was cheerful in some respects. You never saw Fat Boy very cheerful. But, um, but you know, after all this time, 
now we've we've made a connection and and I always I liked his work I always said boy especially selling as a baby face holy shit that he's stronger than he looked and just the gimmick was ridiculous and and he was a mute uh, in a television promotion but now he's the most entertaining cunning linguist out there in in television and wrestling and and now we have I feel like from now on, Brian, when he's doing those interviews where he's cracking up the bloodline and he's winking at the camera, he's kind of looking at me. Because, you know, and we heard that Usi, feeling very Usi, Usi is also a slang word in Tongan, which is, of course, the language of all of us island people. Um, it's slang for pussy. Which is another reason why those fucking particular guys were cracking the fuck up, not only because of his deliber delivery, but because he was saying they weren't feeling very pussy lately. But nevertheless, <laughs> I feel I, like... I did not know that. <laughs> yes, that is, that's a thing that, yes, has been revealed. And I guess there's not a lot of people in the, that speak Tongan in the general population, but... So me and Sammy have something now, but that's that's what I'm saying. After all these years... We finally come around, and and I feel like now when he's doing these things, he's going to be doing it for me. You know, like, Sammy, Sammy, I love when you fall down each Friday night on my oh, TV. God. You're stealing songs oh, from Saturday Night Sammy, Live now. Listen to this. Every time that you fall down, I wish that you were falling, falling for me. Yeah, the funny thing was they all hated Chevy. And they still <laughs> had to sing that fucking song on TV. You wanted him to not wear the mask as El Generico. Yes. I, I didn't want him to be called El Generico. Really. I didn't want a mask. I didn't want a mute luchador. I didn't want El Generico. The guy was a wonderful worker. You didn't think he would be this because no one could have known this, but from the conversations you did have with him backstage, did you think, or did you ever say to him, you can talk? Why don't we have you talk? Or did you well, just no, not want him to be a mute? Because I didn't really know that he could talk at that point because he never did it. That's what, you know, I mean, I had talked to Adam Pierce and I talked to Hunter Johnston, Delirious, and they had told me in no uncertain time, well, he is never going to not be El Generico. So, but can, and I asked him, I said, can't you, can you learn to talk Spanish? Goddamn, learn to communicate. What the fuck? And I said, how, why can he not talk? Well, because... He's supposed to be El Generico, this luchador, but in in actuality, he's a redheaded Muslim guy from Canada. And it, it, but that's the whole. It I never understood the whole fucking thing. And uh, uh, once again, once we got on television, I said you have to learn to communicate in some kind of way. And he was at that point, he was already. Uh, thinking and he did for a while and i don't remember what happened uh, in the last 10 years of his career but he was holding out hope even in 2012 for a spot in the wwf where i figured he'd take his mask off and learn to talk and he certainly has do you think with this recent turn in the relationship with you and Sami Zayn, is austin aries a few jokes away from being your best friend no i don't think so no i don't think so like I said, Sammy was always the the more uh, inoffensive and, and smiling type of person than his cohort from Canada. 
But uh, no, Aries is the kind of guy who likes to start the day off with a smile to get it over with. All right, well, it's my show, and we have a bunch of crap to review, so why don't we get some of that out of the way? Why don't we do that? Are we going chronologically? Well, I didn't watch... I don't think I did. I may have seen some of it, and I don't even remember. I didn't pay attention to SmackDown because it was a tape show, and Crown Jewel was the next day at noon. Well, I'll tell you what. There wasn't much on SmackDown, but one of the things on SmackDown was one of the two best matches... I think actually in terms of you just want to see a wrestling match that I saw in the course of this long drawn out weekend. Um, But I will mention just in passing the opening match on SmackDown. Now they've, I know the people don't have to buy pay-per-view anymore, right? I know it's a premium live event from Saudi Arabia. They got their money guaranteed. It's like, it's like a, on a much bigger level, it's like a county fair show. Your money's guaranteed, right? But they could still put some effort into the television program to push it. We come on the air on SmackDown with a no disqualification match in perfect time for lazy booking season. Liv Morgan and Cruella DeVille. They start this program out, and within minutes... They do use the kendo sticks, and they're pulling the table out and setting it up. And they did a spot where old Cruella tries to German suplex Liv Morgan off the apron through the table that is sitting on the floor behind them, right? You can see this. They're both standing on the apron, and Liv's holding on to the top rope so she can't be German suplexed through this table. But to show that she's crazy... And how hardcore she is. They've been trying to do this recently. Liv just all of a sudden goes, oh, fuck it, like her facial expression, and let's go. And they both fly backwards through the table, and she lands right smack on top of Cruella DeVille. As they go through that table to the floor, squashed her britches full. And that's, I think, the second time or third time I've seen. Why are they trying to kill Sonya Deville? What has she done? And that, guess what? That wasn't the finish. That was a break spot. They went to the break as, as she was laying there, Liv Morgan laughing, laying on top of Cruella, who'd just been squished. She's laughing about it, and they go to the break. When they come back from the break, they're in the ring with a match going on doing spots. And they wonder why nothing's over and nobody cares anymore, and they still can't get any traction when the opposition is imploding in front of their eyes because they do shit like this. Five minutes into the program, this 100-pound girl crashes through furniture to the floor, and then they get back in the ring and start doing leapfrogs and tic-tacles. What the f- And then, for uh, I think at least the second time I've seen these same two do it, the finish was a, a big bump on a fucking pile of chairs off the top rope into the middle of the ring. Girls in the first match. Some chick named Emma is back in the company. Were you aware of this? Yes, I saw that she was back. Well, that's because everybody, Emma's back. And I saw her and I'm like, have I ever seen this woman before? She was someone who was pretty good in developmental, like around the time Paige was there. I mean, that's how long ago. 
And then they brought her up and they gave her like a stupid dancing gimmick. And it didn't really work for anybody. And then they were going to bring her back at one point. Remember, they were going to make her like a glamorous. Was it was it Emolution or whatever it was? I uh, and then before she ever debuted on TV with that, like it didn't work, and she was gone, and now she's back. Well, good, good for her. Um, here was one of the short list of good matches over the last weekend, and guess who was in it? Ricochet versus L.A. Knight. And I bet you didn't think I was going to group ricochet in with the big boys but i think it depends on his opponent i've always thought he's talented exactly la knight is all the way back no more max dupree or whatever that was he he's a classic wrestler he's animated selling he's got the facials and the reactions his work is smooth he feeds to the right places he can talk he's not going to be goddamn the the rock but on a, if, if you're doing a professional wrestling program on a performance level, he's ahead of 80% of these fucking people just to, to get something done without having to fucking lead him through the nose. Anyway, Ricochet is good with a wrestler instead of another gymnast, because when he gets another gymnast in there, they have to try to I don't know if it's outdo each other or to do whatever together since they're all working together to build the human pyramid. But with a wrestler, he's a fiery, young, underneath, smaller, underdog type that can get the people with him. And uh, they did a wrestling finish. Rick Shea made a comeback, hooked him in an O'Connor roll-up. L.A. Knight rolled through it at the two-count, reached right out and grabbed the middle rope to cheat. Perfect positioning. Three, boom, rolled right out, and the heel cheated and won. And it was a nice match. I don't know why they can't. Coco, see, do. It ain't that fucking difficult. But anyway, did you see any of that? No, Coco didn't watch. Sorry. Coco Coco didn't watch. Then you missed the Bray Wyatt promo, or did you I did at see least this. see a clip of no, this? No, I had to see it just to see if my theory my hypothesis about bray wyatt continues to play out which naturally it does and your hypotheses are right on target uh, usually but this entire promo he's again he's backstage he's in you know the dark lighting and everything he's in the back of the arena and he's starting to cut a promo and suddenly what was it was it to, it was the guy was supposed to be a delivery guy he wasn't even just a random stooge he was he shouted something like i've got a delivery you can't walk up from uh, Brian help me try to describe to the people just because they see Bray Wyatt in kind of a darkened area on their screen this interloper, the delivery guy that came in and busted the take and yelled about delivery, he's coming toward the camera, not from behind it. So he's not just, he would have to be looking at numerous, a cameraman, an audio person with a boom mic, a goddamn producer standing by with a clipboard, a fucking giant camera, at least one or two fucking spotlights lighting this scene you wouldn't just walk up on this goddamn shoot and not know it was going on can you 
No. Concur with that. Yes, of course. Description. Oh, it looks like they're filming something with that big husky guy over there. I'll just keep <laughs> yes. walking right towards them. Yes, and yell as loud as I can. <laughs> hey, are you filming? Are you live? But then, okay, if that's going to be the premise that the delivery guy busts his take and then Bray Wyatt unleashes a verbal browbeating and stream of effluvia to this fucking fellow. Why did, couldn't they, was that a real delivery guy? Did they just flag somebody down from a UPS truck and say, come in here and participate in this? Because there was no emotion from this guy. As Bray Wyatt calls him over and he's, he's cutting this incredible promo. He sounds like, yeah, as I've said, the most believable guy in wrestling verbally, a legitimate psychopath. He's having a mental breakdown in front of you. He's talking about how you've, you've broken his fucking take and you've all, you've interfered in this and blah, blah, blah. And the things that he does, the guy is just standing there with this blank look on his face. He's not trying to run. He's not looking nervous. He's not even getting mad. He's not. It's just like they've told a guy, just stand there and let this happen with no emotion on your face whatsoever. And then when he makes you apologize, just say, I'm sorry and wander off. Would you have hung around if it was legitimate? This fucking giant bearded lunatic is having a meltdown in front of you. Would you not just a fucking left to begin with? Even if you thought he's going to chase you, then you'd show some type of concern. But the whole thing was, it was phony because there was no reaction by this guy that if it was supposed to be legitimate that you would give to something like that am i am i just being too picky or was that the thing that stood out to me it stood out because it was different but it was intentional it was what they wanted maybe you're being too picky i mean how could you be too picky when it comes to any of this bray wyatt shit because it's all shit <laughs> I, I mean, said, I, just say something. Come here. He just say, he says nothing. He I've says had a, nothing. I've, I've had a variety of verbal meltdowns at people in the past, and nobody ever just stands there like that. They all have some reaction. If this guy knows anything about wrestling and he has any kind of an idea of what kind of money Bray Wyatt's getting paid, yeah, I'd stand there and let him hit me too. Well, but then you'd, then you'd try to force the issue. There's a you, camera I mean, crew right just, there. No, I just stand there and do something. There's a camera crew here. Just, I told you, it just, it was like the guy was standing there waiting for a bus. Does it make Bray Wyatt look that intimidating if this little pudgy fucking, you know, delivery guy, it was not, in, if, if Joe LaDuke was leaning over in somebody's face, telling them off, which I've seen, or Terry Funk or whatever, they wouldn't just be standing there. Anyway, it it's... Again, it's he's incredible. Bray, Bray Wyatt is incredibly convincing in everything he says, but you keep waiting for him to make a point, and he never gets there. And it's so he's he's crazy, but we're not sure exactly what the fucking problem is, and potentially his alter nemesis boy Howdy is gonna fucking be revealed to be himself or his brother as himself or some part other part of his anatomy that's broken loose and gone outlaw i don't fucking know sure show 
I think it's terrible. And we'll talk about what he had to say at Crown Jewel, but this is the SmackDown show. What else was on SmackDown? Oh, uh, well, the Usos um, were in the ring and they were doing a, a promo about their journey to their record tag team reign and New Day interrupted. And I was about to zip out on that, but then suddenly the brawling brutes attacked the Usos and the New Day joined in. So now apparently we have uh, painters on the other side of the wall and we had about six baby faces attacking two heels until here came Solo and Sammy and the heels took over and they shit canned all of them except for Butch and Solo laid Butch out. So that's what happened there. You know, Jay Uso may be one of my favorite guys on WWE TV right now. I hate the way that I mean, I never want to see them against the New Day ever again. I never want to see the New Day ever again. As yeah, soon as I see yeah, the New Day, I don't want to see the segment. But I like Jay Uso as much as everyone's putting all the credit on Sami Zayn and he's doing great. Jay Uso has been pretty great too. Well, yes, you know it's it's a dance. You can't just go out there and just wing it yourself. You have a partner. Everybody's working together. But speaking of working together. Natalia and Shayna Baszler worked together until Shayna choked her out. And then, okay, now I've got an update on why MVP was not part of the crown jewel in Saudi Arabia. Did you see this? I knew it was something to do with religion. And I thought, well, wait a minute, he's a Muslim, but I thought there were Muslims, is there different kinds of Muslims? Where's the heat? As... As Moondog Spot Larry Latham used to say, where's the heat? But now, apparently it's been out now that he has heat in Saudi Arabia because he once was a Muslim and then became an atheist. And they frown highly on that in that environment over there. And I guess because you come to a sense of logic and reason and realize that this is all fantasy, they tend to want to put you to death and shit over there. For that so that's why he wasn't there but i don't know <laughs> brown strongman was on smackdown in a, a match against five job guys that mvp had apparently set up and he comes out and cuts the promo and there's the five job guys and brown strongman just comes out and knocks them all fucking goofy at the same time as he runs through them in the aisleway and I guess he had the that fucking death palm blow that the ancient Chinese mystics killed Bruce Lee with because he just touched him and you never saw him again. And then he goes and he gets MVP and beat up MVP and jerked his jacket off and fucking power slammed him three times in a row. And I was like, Jesus Christ, because the manager's not going to the pay-per-view, kill the manager? That took all the heat off of, um, well, any heat they might have, off of MVP and almost. But, uh, yeah, so, and I'll tell you another thing. Goddamn MVP, what is he, 40-something years old? I don't know if I'd want that 375-pound fucking meathead power slamming me three times. They looked very, they were flat, but they also looked a little firm. 
Especially, you know, that, that can cause hemorrhoids if you're not careful. Take one of those things and your fucking colon will shoot out your sphincter. Anyway, that was that. And um, and and by the way, I said, well, it it might make sense if almost is going to go over at the pay per view at Crown Jewel one two three. Then it you know so Braun got something, but no, then they beat fucking almost. <laughs> so maybe they're giving up on that. Anyway, we will move on. Here was the match of the weekend. You missed this, Brian. I can't believe you missed. The actual best wrestling match, if you're just grading on a wrestling match, the actual best one that was televised either on SmackDown or Crown Jewel or Raw was Gunther and Rey Mysterio for the Intercontinental title. With an incredible size difference, they made it work because they both know exactly what they ought to be doing. It was the perfect big man, little man match. Gunther overpowered him. Mysterio used speed and cunning. All the shit made sense. The size issue was made logical. Uh, Ray worked from underneath most of the time, but stayed alive without looking like, you know, supernatural Superman. Gunther sold what he should sell, and they worked out ways for Ray to be able to do those things. And at one point, Ray worked a sleeper and Gunther sold it like crazy. And you got the idea that, okay, this could work. He's on his back like a fucking monkey. You can't fucking peel him off. So Mysterio was seldom in control, but always looked like he had a chance. And then Ray hit a 619, but went to the top, got slammed off the top. Gunther went to the top. Ray goes for a Hurricane Rana. Gunther held him, but then Ray double pumped it and got it anyway and got a big two count and then a sunset flip two count. And then Ray misses a splash. Gunther hits a drop kick and a power bomb and two count. I'm like, holy shit, because I thought that would be it. Mysterio comes out to go for another 619 and Gunther hits the boot and the clothesline boom, one, two, three. Retains the Intercontinental title, and what a fucking match. It can still be done in in today's environment, but there's just almost nobody that knows how to fucking do it. But that is, if you were looking for a wrestling match, and I know a lot of people, and we're going to talk about Crown Jewel in a second with Logan Paul's Amazing, but still, if you want a wrestling match that you could, it didn't rely on furniture and big budget and, you know, ridiculous run-ins, fall draws, smoke and mirrors, whatever the case, SmackDown had two of them, Ricochet and L.A. Knight, which got L.A. Knight over to move him on further, and Gunther and Mysterio, that was a heck of a TV main event, and they didn't use any furniture or insult anybody's intelligence. But that was SmackDown. It certainly was, and some people... I don't know where I was going with that. <laughs> Speaking of insulting your intelligence, let's transition, ladies and gentlemen, and talk about some of the to things... To insulting your looks. <laughs> to some of the things that some of the wrestlers may have had to do before they went to Saudi Arabia. 
Well, there's a variety of, of things that you could consider in that case, and I'll just pick one at random, you know, because I'll tell you, folks, it's the holiday season is coming up. It's never too early to start thinking about gifts. If you've got a man in your life, and apparently most of our listeners are men, we've found a few stray women in the wild out there, but most of our listeners are quite male. Didn't we score recently as the number one podcast to attract a male audience over 18? That's right. And only because some of the teenagers and young folks ain't admitting that they listen to us, or we'd probably get, you know, the six and up, just put them, set them right down and listen to the program. But no bad idea. No, no, no. Well, you know what? You've got kids. Yeah, they don't you know, listen to the program. You know what goes on. <laughs> but anyway, they're it's, watching Peppa Pig. They're not listening to this crap. Watching Peppa. Well, I'm, I'll, I'll tell you, I'm thinking about Sultan and Peppa and them. <laughs> Pepper Pig. Peppa, not Pepper. It's Peppa, uh, Peppy Pig. Peppa. It's never too early. To start thinking about gifts for the holidays, whether it's for a friend or the friends in your pants, ladies and gentlemen, I'm telling you what, this season, you can certainly check my balls with howls of golly, because you can do your little drummer boy a favor and use the lawnmower 4.0 to avoid another silent night in the bedroom. You can add in Manscapes, top-of-the-line shower products to have the people thinking, all I want for Christmas is you. Santa cares about his sack, and so should you, ladies and gentlemen. And well, I'm not even making this up. This is the copy they send us. Folks, the Manscaped Platinum Package 4.0 is the one-stop shop for the man who deserves it all and who already has some of it. It's got everything you need to help you deck the halls from your face to your balls just in time to be able to wear a mistletoe belt buckle for Christmas. For example, the Platinum Package it's got everything the performance package has, plus the ultra-premium body wash, the two-in-one shampoo and conditioner. It's the ultra-premium deodorant. They got all that. It's the best way to smell fresh from your Santa hat to your candy cane. And it also obviously has the Lawnmower 4.0 body trimmer. There's the LED light on it so you can light the way like Rudolph. If you have a reindeer schnoz in your crotch, <laughs> must be in, involved in some type of animal husbandry. I don't know. You, I, but no, no. Also, the Weed Whacker <laughs> nose and ear hair trimmer to protect your delicates. And uh, both of them are waterproof so you can clear the snow out of your driveway. And after you groom your candy cane, make sure you don't smell like a reindeer, folks. From the hoofs to the anus. With the Platinum Packages shower products, they're sulfate-free, vegan. They're made to have your skin feeling vegan. hydrated, that too, and smelling fresh. And they've got the Crop Preserver Ball Deodorant, the Crop Reviver Ball Toner. They solve the stank problems. Once they touch your sack, you'll never go back. And then you can hang up the stockings with glee on the fireplace there, and you never know what kind of toys or gifts will be stuffed down in those and what? for the perfect stocking stuffer you can add in the brand new body buffer it's an incredible body scrubber that makes exfoliating easy and i, I took it out and used it on the fence row and boy i got all the weeds and all the the overgrowth off of that the brand new body buffer folks 
All you got to do is go to manscaped.com and you'll get 20% off and free shipping with the code DRIVE, D-R-I-V-E, manscaped.com, 20% off and free shipping for the Manscaped Platinum Package 4.0 or anything else they have on their fine website, which I encourage you to check out. I mean, they've got a, a Roto-Rooter thing you can clean the inside of your colon out, and they've got shit you can you can what? just no. you can do a variety of maintenance. There's Honestly, a variety of things that you can actually do. I don't know what Roto-Rooter product you're talking they, about, but they, they don't they have thought, that. Well, I thought that's where I got that off of manscaped.com. Maybe it was something else. Maybe it was What other site do <laughs> It was the site I got the Didilator Mach 3 off of, but it I assumed it was for cleaning the interior because of the ripples and the way it was shaped and then it's got the crank when you turn it it starts spinning and vibrating at the same time. I assumed that was like one of those Roto-Rooter things for the drains and Gets clogs out. Manscaped.com. 20% off and free shipping. Anything on the site. Of course, there's nothing that will protrude into any of your orifices, apparently, on that site. But So you'll have to go elsewhere for that. Use the code DRIVE. Well, Jim, that was SmackDown and a method to shave down. And now let's fly halfway across <laughs> the world to the Middle East for another WWE crown jewel in Saudi Arabia. Saturday afternoon here in the East. Noon. A big showdown. High noon. High noon. I was well, high. They, hey, I think they probably had to get all the guys high to get them over there this time. There were no hostage incidents from what we understand, and they managed to avoid any terrorist activity that the government had been warned about. So that's all good. But I was disappointed right at the start of the program, Brian. Did you see the Arabic announce team? No Fukar Makafakalub and Slapko Fud. Fubar. You just called him Fubar. Fukar. I'm sorry. That's his brother. Fukar? Fukar. His brother is Fubar Makafakalub and Slapko Fud. Fukar is his brother. His other brother's Ezekiel. Who was it? Hugo Savinovich and someone else? I don't know. I didn't recognize the names. It wasn't our boys. But nevertheless, they started out. Brock Lesnar and Bobby Lashley. Brock wanted to get home early, didn't he? He didn't want to spend any more time there than he had to. And I, he gets his own plane, right? So he leaves on Brock time. That's right. But at first, this, for everything you can say about the location and and or at some points the content of this program, holy shit. It looked like a big deal. The entrances, the production value, the lighting, it's all major league. Fans just, are into it. Fans are into it because they don't get to see this shit very often. It's A lot of it's new to them, especially live in person. And they seem to know what was going on, you know, with everybody. So they're watching the program. So it's, you know, it's a big show. I didn't hear what the crowd was or the attendance. I may have skipped through many of the long announcer breaks and entrances where they might have said that, but it, it's, it's a great crowd and a big building. I believe the attendance was listed as be there or else. Yes, that's the, uh, but now is that, is that the official attendance or was the official attendance, we will shoot you if you do not come. And then also that takes into account all of the merchandising people and the employees and everything, and you better be there or else. I don't know how many Saudis have a German accent, so I don't know if that was the way <laughs> <that> it went. <laughs> but other than that, maybe. 
Actually, uh, great character actor Werner Kemplerer was uh, in charge of parking that day. Anyway, so they start out with Brock and Lashley. My God, what are we doing? And Lashley jump starts it because he's the offended party from last time, as I recall. And he hurts Brock's leg uh, to give Brock something to sell. And, and it's it's an all big move match. They're just going to, this is kind of like the the Heyman blueprint that he's put Bingo. out to these guys. Bingo. Two spears and then a spear through a barricade and then another spear. And then Brock comes back with a German and another German and another German and an F5 for a two count. Nobody's going to grab a headlock. There's not going to be, oh, hip toss, arm drag. But with these guys, there shouldn't be. I don't, you know, it, it, unfortunately, I think the bad thing is because this kind of match works, they're overdoing it to the point where it's eventually not going to work as well. It may be already there where it doesn't work as well as it once did. But anyway, so again, you know, Bobby does his post thing where he runs the guy into the post while he's over his shoulders. Goes for a spear, Brock foils it, Bobby hits a spine buster, gets the hurt lock. And the thing that Brock shows here or showed here in this match is that he can sell his ass off, and he will when it's called for. Because he was not only selling that leg like a champ earlier, but he sells the hurt lock. And it's believable. He, you know, there was emotion to this. And I'm thinking, boy, this is really, this is going good. And then all of a sudden, while he's in the full Nelson, the hurt lock, Brock kicks off the turnbuckle and they do the, was that Bruno and Stasiak? Who, or was that Pedro? And who was that? One of the oldest fucking finishes in the world when somebody needs to get a fluke win, kick off the turnbuckle, the guy's got the full Nelson, but he's pinned one, two, three. It was a very Bret Hart type finish. He did that, I think, with Yoko at WrestleMania, right? Well, yeah, but I mean, he didn't invent it, and no. I'm not knocking Brett, but I'm saying it's as old. There was a WWF title change in the in the early 70s with the same fucking finish. I'm trying to think who it was, but nevertheless, that <laughs> they were doing good, and I was liking the match, and it's two big fucking monsters, and then all of a sudden, <laughs> that was kind of a letdown of a finish. I wrote, really? With two question marks on my notes. I, I kind of I know they don't want to they want to extend it and they can't beat either one of these guys flat out convincingly with no out or bitch or room for gripe or whatever but boy that wasn't exactly a Pat Patterson fucking special finish there or an Eddie Graham or what okay just kick off the buckle and pin him and that kind of let me down at the end what'd you think? I didn't know what they were going to do. I didn't think they were going to have a Lesnar lose. And I knew that Lashley would be around probably the next day or two days later. And right away, as soon as the match started, it and I love Goldberg versus Lesnar, but it reminded me right away of the layout of Goldberg versus Lesnar. Some minor changes, but that's probably the best way to put together this kind of match. It was a little awkward at times because they haven't worked together. Have they ever worked together? I'm not even sure. I mean, oh, yes. No, they did. Yes. Remember? This is a big uh, rematch from what, what, Royal Rumble last year? Oh, I didn't remember, so that goes to show you something. The finish, I, I don't have a big problem with it. They needed to get out of this somehow, and 
I guess this made everyone happy. Well, I get that's a, again, that's the thing. There's no big pay-per-view anymore. It's a premium live event. It's on the cock for $4.99 a month, along with everything else that's ever been shot on video. So, you know, let's get out of it. <laughs> lazy booking. Speaking of lazy booking, for the tag team title, Alexa Bliss and Oscar fought Kai and Sky and... They were all wearing full full body suits. Looked like they were about to go scuba diving, even though they were they were more colorful. Remember when they first did one of these shows? Did they just have the girls wear like fucking a sweatshirt and sweatpants? At least now they're getting outfits made, so they look a little better. But again, crazy people over there. Did I miss anything with this match? I accidentally looked away for fifteen minutes. I just had to go do something else. Well, there you go. So then we get the cage match between Drew McIntyre and Karrion Cross with his cohort, Scarlet. And again, a cage match in the middle of the show, uh, you know, blah, blah, blah. I know that's the way they do things these days. They started at 100 miles an hour and they went back and forth. And it's kind of the same match that everybody does now in one of these cages. There's nothing left to do. Um, they're not going to have any blood in a cage. They've had so many cage matches. Um, nothing wrong with Drew McIntyre, and there's nothing really wrong with Karrion Cross. but I don't know whether yet we're seeing... He looks more normal with his stylish haircut than with the, with the bald head. He kind of looked like a halfway dangerous man, a thoroughly dangerous man. But with the hair, he kind of looks like a pissed off CPA with a jacked up body. They bounce each other off the cage. It's, you know, it's just a match you see a lot. And then <laughs> McIntyre superplexed cross off the top of the cage, got a big pop and the Saudis chanted, Holy shit. So now they've even got the American profanity down, but then it, <laughs> Apparently, obviously, the WWF or WWE cage rules are you can escape. So McIntyre's going to go out the door, and the referee opens it, but Scarlet maces or pepper sprays or whatever the substance is alleged to be, Drew McIntyre in the face, and gets the second referee with the that's holding the door for good measure, and then. Karrion Cross is going to crawl out, but McIntyre catches him. And then Scarlet closes and locks the door. And McIntyre starts to climb out. But then Scarlet opens the door and <laughs> Cross is trying to crawl out. But McIntyre still climbs over and jumps down on the floor and beats Karrion Cross out, crawling through the. Was this another rotten fucking finish? Because I wrote the words rotten, underlined finish. Well, you brought up finishes from the past. It's a finish we've seen in the past, famously with Hogan and Orndorff both getting out at the same time, but lots of guys throughout the years trying to get out at the same time, and one does and one doesn't. But this was This was an old school WWE finish. Yeah. Well, yeah, which never made any sense anyway, getting out of a fucking cage to begin with, as we've talked about many times on this program. But st the... It wasn't like this was a 
split second edge of your seat. Whew, oh my gosh, he just pulled that out. It was more like, well, all he has to do is jump down. This other guy's barely moving. It just, it seemed flatter than a plate full of piss to me. But they have to get so fancy. Everybody's got to get fancy. Apparently, this was another show because I think it happened maybe a month ago where Drew McIntyre was really sick with the flu and he still worked the match. Yes. So change your thoughts about this at all, knowing that he was really sick. Well, no, he didn't come up with the finish while he was under delirium from a fucking high fever. It's not his fault. I'm not knocking Drew McIntyre. I'm saying they're, they're limited. They have these cage matches all the time. I'm not suggesting they bring more furniture into the cage like they do with sometimes, but there's no blood. I don't think, I, I, I didn't see... You know, the the animosity needed for a cage where they're going to rip each other limb from limb and a fucking blah finish where once again, nobody really won, nobody really lost. It just kind of, eh, it's over. You know, I think they've just done all this shit too much. And now it's just the same shit. Speaking of the same shit. AJ Styles, Luke Gallows, and Carl Anderson against Judgment Day. And I got distracted and zoned out on this. Again, Judgment Day needs somebody interesting to work with because the whole club thing is as weak as cat's piss. The original club, the only club, the we can't say bullet club. Why don't they, they brought these guys back. They've been gone for what, a year, year and a half? Get them a, a fresh gimmick. Put a new coat of paint on them. Don't fucking give them the same goddamn bullshit where they were in a group in Japan that nobody gives a fuck about anymore, where they ripped off everybody's fucking catchphrases and goddamn hand signals from people that were actually fucking over and drew money. Good Lord. And they had the match where everybody hit a big move on another person right after another and did a triple Tower of Doom spot thing ripley looked great even in a full body outfit can you imagine how boring saudi arabia must be if they see a rhea ripley and the first thing they say is cover her up anyway finn beat aj after ripley interfered in that match my only comment's gonna be i'm really starting to enjoy dominic mysterio as a chicken shit heel he and 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 the 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 kind of voice like that kind of works for him, right? When he's the chicken shit and he's being whispered in the ear by Rhea and everything. But again, Finn Balor, goddamn, he's got that fucking Irish Opie Taylor voice and it just... But nevertheless, the big one was next. The big one. See what I did there, Brian? The What was the total weight on almost against Brown... Brown I, now I can't say. I mean, is it Brown Strongman or Bra, Bra, Brown Strowman? Think of Brawny. Brawny, the paper towel guy. If it um, was a right-wing paper towel, yes. There you go. So, Braun Strongman. The combined weight was 800 pounds. The combined interest level was low. But I'll tell you what, this... It wasn't as embarrassing as it could have been, to be quite honest with you. They didn't do much, and they shouldn't have. They kept it very simple because, I mean, in this equipment, 
Braun is not real smooth, but he looks like Jack Briscoe next to almost. But they did the long-faced face and the crowd milk and the test of strength and lots of trash talk. And I had to say, almost was aggressive and he worked hard and the shit that he did do looked okay. And then they go for a while and then almost misses a charge into the corner and hits the buckle. And when he comes out, Braun scooped him up and hit him with one body slam, one, two, three. And I, that's why I, I did the same finish in OVW with Mark Henry and Matt Morgan, where they built up from a, it was a gauntlet match type of thing where they were the last two and they went, the whole thing was 45 minutes and finished with a body slam. The place came unglued. I don't know if I could use the word unglued for this place, but it didn't take Eddie Graham to come up with these finishes, but I don't know that they could have done anything more complicated here and, and got by with this. They dodged a bullet. So, but again, it, what do you do now? They just got MVP on SmackDown and Strowman power slammed him three times, left him laying. And now they take the biggest guy in the company and body slam him on television and then beat him with it. One, two, three. Do you remember that time that Andre not only got body slammed on television, but got beat one, two, three. No, you don't. Cause it never happened. What are the, what? Well, I mean, Hogan beating Andre body slam was the key to beating Andre. He slammed Andre. Well, in, in the, the in the last big match Andre ever had, really, I'm talking about this is what are they doing? Were they proven he can be body slammed and proven he can be beaten? And he's not a good worker, and he doesn't have the bizarre charisma, physical charisma to seem in person that Andre had. So what else are you gonna do with him? They've they skipped the first if if you're going by Andre's career, they skipped the first 15 years where Andre was protected and then just went straight to the Silverdome here. I think what where's where's almost going? Do you think there's a problem in general, not just with almost, but with wrestlers? Everyone wants the freak show attraction. Everyone wants a giant. But if a giant is just too tall, not that he's skinny. I mean, he looks like a big, thick guy, but not thick like an Andre or a big show. So maybe not as impressive. When you see him there right in front of Braun Strowman, who is a big, thick guy, you're like, wow, he's tall. But that was it. And then he got slammed and lost. I mean, going back to my question, has it been a problem in wrestling ever with the idea of you want a giant, but it has to be more than just someone who's tall? Yes. Silo Sam. Well, he El was thick. That, yeah, well, Silo Sam. No, si no, Silo Sam was only thick in the midsection. Go middle, back and yeah. look. <laughs> his arms weren't any bigger than mine, I don't think. His fucking legs were skinny, but he had that giant belly plus that big fucking goiter or whatever the fuck it was on his stomach. It looked like a half a football with surgical clamp scars on his when he took his shirt off. El Gigante. Bless him. Jorge was a lovely nice man but he was seven feet seven but he didn't have a, a i mean he well he had a pretty good physique for a guy that's seven foot seven but not like a monster you know it, it, every time that somebody has found some 
you know, outsized example of humanity, whether they're overly heavy or overly tall or overly like the Maurice Tillet, the French angel wasn't either really tall or really heavy, but because of the acromegaly, his features were distorted and he was bizarre. And that sells in wrestling, just like it sells in, you know, mankind in life, anything out of the ordinary or unusual or bizarre. But then you have to be able to do something with it. And we've talked about this many times on the program is you steal a house with some an attraction like that, or potentially now you steal a pay-per-view. You build him up, accentuating all of his strengths, none of his weaknesses, and then put him in a position where it can draw money once, but you know when people see it, you're going to have to keep it so short, so simple, or smoke and mirrors or whatever the fuck, they probably don't want to see it again. That's called stealing a house. You got them once, but you probably ain't going to get them for a return. But in this case, now that everybody's under contract and almost can't just go from one territory to another where they steal it every time and you you don't see through it until the Magnificent Zulu. And, you know, you can't do that anymore. He's in the same company. He's on television all the time. And once you... Once the giant, once Goliath goes down to the fucking shot with the slingshot, it's very hard to make him an unbeatable, invulnerable monster again. So what are they going to do with him now? You can body slam him. You can beat him. The manager don't have a lot of heat. He just got fucking shit kicked out of him. Yeah. I don't know if he's going to scare anybody. It's just me. You know what else was just me, Brian Last? It was just me that didn't watch the tag team title match between the Brawling Brutes and the Usos. No, it wasn't just you. Whether it's the Brawling Brutes or the Brussels Sprouts, I and it's not even the people, it's just the ridiculous, the name and the little caps and the whole thing. And I thought Pete Dunne was going to get back to being Pete Dunne, but he's still a... Dick and the street urchin. The Usos won with their finish off the top rope. A lot of people are going to think that I skipped the last woman standing match between Bianca and Bailey. Don't you think that a lot of people are going to think I skipped that? I think half the audience will think you skipped it, and the other half will think that you watched it for a few minutes and then decided to fast forward. Well, I was about to say, I watched some, and some I couldn't stomach, but I like Bianca Belair now, and, I, and I've been talking about, boy, if they'll put Bailey against a top girl, then I'd like to see, because I like Bailey. I think she's a good promo. I think she is a good worker. And so, here we go, but it's Last Woman Standing. Lazy booking. They eh, did they have a single match yet? Did I miss it? Uh, you know that's a good question. I may have missed it too. Did they have a match between Bianca and Bailey? Just a wrestling match. Just regular rules. We're gonna use the ring. We're not gonna fight with furniture. Just to start. Just as a starting place. I don't remember it. 
So the first time I see this, it's Last Woman Standing. In the bodysuits, these these girls look like NASCAR drivers. Did you notice? It was like you, I didn't think about that, but I guess so. And maybe a you know the ring could catch on fire, so they're all covered up. Bailey is a bumping heel. She can go, but ninety seconds in, she has pulled out a kendo stick. But she swung and lost it. I'm like, thank God. But then Bianca pulls out a chair from under the ring. And now they're doing spots with the chair, trying to get the chair, and I'm losing interest. And then Bailey pulls out a ladder and slides it in the ring. And Bianca is arranging stairs to do a spot with. And now there's a suplex on the floor, and Bailey has a chair, and she sits Bianca in the chair. And then gets up on the barricade and jumps off the barricade and clotheslines Bianca while she's sitting in the chair. And I, and then she pulls out a table. And I said, I, I can't. I can't take this anymore. So I fast-forwarded 10 minutes. See, we get to the meat of the matter. And they were fighting on top of a golf cart. On the roof of a golf cart somewhere in the stadium. And then finally they got back to the ring some and Bianca gave Bailey her finish on a chair, but the chair moved. Somebody kicked it on the way down. So she landed knee first on the chair and then Bianca closed Bailey up in the ladder. <laughs> I don't know if this is an Eddie Graham finish either, but at least it's original. Bianca closed Bailey up in the ladder and then pushed the ladder under the turnbuckle so that it was locked and Bailey couldn't get up. Last woman standing. Bianca won Jesus H. Christ. <sighs> I'm not going to add too much to that other than to say it hit me during this, even though it was a mess at times. I think Bianca may be my favorite women's wrestler in the business right now. Everything she does looks good. She's athletic. She's got size. She can move. She could sell. She could lay moves in. I like Bianca a lot. I know I said it way back in NXT, and Rhea hasn't really been used as a female wrestler the same way. But I don't know of too many who are better than Bianca right now, at least in my eyes. Well, if they keep putting her in all these matches with ladders and tables and furniture, they'll hurt her sooner or later. So I'd like to see her and Bailey in a. I mean, I hate to see it now as the as the match after the <laughs> yeah. last woman's standing match, or whatever. But I'd like to see her and Bailey work a match. That'd be good. I yeah, actually have a match and use the ring and all that stuff. That but that now would be like following a shooting with a stabbing. So now they're they're going backwards. Now they have to bring out radioactive material and surround the ring with a trench or whatever. All right. Um, Bray Wyatt. <sighs> he comes out. <laughs> he sounds great saying it, even if you can't figure out what it is. But this went quite a while. And it was, again, he sat alone, no one to love him. People love the idea of him. I wrote, what the fuck is this all mean? He says, my name is Bray Wyatt, and I'm here to rewrite the ending to my story. And then here comes 
Captain Howdy up on the screen and did a promo that I I recognize some English words, but I don't know what he's fucking saying. Can you understand or determine what Captain Howdy is saying? I have no idea what's going on here. I saw the ring like 15 years ago. I don't even know how long ago it was, but none of this is that creative to me. It's just taking that stuff from horror movies and bringing it to wrestling, but with no payoff because it all sucks. Well, whatever they said, they said it. And uh, and I guess the people were happy they got to see Bray Wyatt in person. And I'm still trying to figure out <laughs> what the fuck he's talking about. But here, it, basically, the whole show hinged on the main event. And here we are for the WWE title, Logan Paul and Roman Reigns. The guy is going for the WWE championship at a stadium show in his third ever match in front of people. And by all rights and laws of gravity, this thing should have either been kept short or it should have stunk or at the very least it, you know, should have been passable. And fucking Logan Paul is a goddamn star that they found and they didn't even know it two years ago. What has somebody said on Twitter recently, they were doing an interview, said that, I can't remember, was was it Hayman, probably Heyman, pitched Logan Paul to Vince like two or three years ago, and Vince had never heard of him. And I can't blame him, I don't know that I had either. But um, Logan Paul, he's, he's in great shape, he's got the size, he's got the personality, the charisma, he's obviously done the training, he's taken this seriously. His basics are better than 90% of the AEW roster in just the training that he's had. But the balance, the springboards, he's there for complicated stuff. He's selling and, and understands why he's selling. And the third match. So, I've you know, that right there was enough to get over with me. But Roman Reigns led this great also. And you could see a couple times where he saw when Logan Paul might have needed to breathe or just think about something for a second. He slowed it down and kept the course going. No kendo sticks, no chairs, no tables. The match made sense. They were keeping Logan Paul alive. And it it worked, and he hung with it. Did a better buckshot lariat than old hangnail. And then, you know, the Superman punches back and forth were getting pops and then they had to do and i know i guess this is the viral moment or the shane mcmahon moment or whatever but then logan paul gets his phone and he's taking video and he goes to the top rope and roman reigns is on the announce desk and he splashes roman reigns off the top rope through the announce desk at ringside you know what it's the main event and this is what people came to see, so let them do it there if they're going to. If this was a once-in-a-while thing in a main event on a big show, that's what that kind of shit was designed for. It's just we now have to see it, you know, especially every week on free TV from the kids across the street. But anyway, so boom! They go through the desk, and then here come the Usos, and they 
get in a fight with Logan Paul's ringside entourage who apparently have not shared Logan Paul's affinity for wrestling training and I, they couldn't stand up to fall down. And it was fun. It was like trying to work with complete marks. They couldn't figure it out. But then music plays, and here comes Jake Paul, Logan Paul's brother, because Ezekiel Paul was busy. And Jake fights the Usos in the ring, and his shit looked lousy. I don't know if, if lightning's going to strike twice with both these Paul boys. But then, after all that, Goddamn subsides a second. Logan Paul rolls Roman Reigns into the ring, hits a huge frog splash. Holy shit. Got all the way up in the rafters on that one. Got a two count. And then music plays again. I'm like, oh, for fuck's sake now. And here comes Solo. But he gets a music and entrance. And Solo and Jake get into it. And they're separated by officials. And Logan Paul dives onto all the heels. And at this point, I thought they've completely lost the match. They they lost the thread. They it was too long, too much distraction, interruption, etc. Maybe they didn't trust it at the start, and they said, we've got to have all the gaga at the finish just to make sure that everybody's on the edge of their seat. I think they should have trusted the match. Because it was better than it, it could have been expected to be or had any real right to be. But when they put all this Gaga in at the end with these separate music entrances and the peripheral people, blah, 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 they. Roman and, and Logan had them. And they, they lost that, I think. They lost the fucking grip on it. it the splash through the desk. Up until that point was perfect. And then with the interference, everybody running down, the music's, the whole nine, yeah, they, it went to shit. But then finally, after Logan's big dive and they had lost the match, then Logan gets back in the ring and Roman Reigns hits Superman punch and the spear one, two, three. I, I you know, after that splash through the desk, if they had had the partisans for both men just come out and try to get each of their guy up and put them in the fucking ring so that they could at least be back together in the ring and the people would know the match is continuing and then they could get a little skirmish out on the outside and let the two guys finish their business in the ring. But it just, it distracted and it was, it was too long. What'd you think? I really liked it. I think Logan Paul is fucking fantastic. They should throw whatever amount of money it takes to sign him up and get him for more uh, once he's healed up. I don't even care if it upsets the locker room. Sign him up. Sign his brother yeah. up. You didn't see much of his brother. Sign his brother up, too. Trust me. Just sign them both up. Well, now, wait a minute now. Are you saying that you think that Jake can jump right up in there and, and be as good a worker as Logan? No, and I think he'd be a very different <laughs> worker. I don't think they're the same guy. They're very different. So I think you have the ability to have Logan wrestle like Logan and Jake be a different kind of worker, something that suits him more. But sign them both. But Jake Paul, or uh, Logan Paul, I mean, when you think about it, is he win Rookie of the Year? Well, 
Jesus Christ, but then well, what year is this? What McAfee do last? McAfee but wrestled then, before this year. Okay, then you have the problem is, if you're going to ask that question, the real rookie of the year should be a Braun Breaker who's actually full-time and who is going to uh, can't miss prospect barring injury for being the big star in the business or somebody along those lines where they are not only legitimately a rookie, I think, but are doing this as a profession. We, the guy, you know, Logan Paul, I was, Logan I was Paul has a main event wrestler schedule, AEW or WWE well, who wrestles a lot, not the main eventers other than well, Moxley. But, but rookie of the year is different than main eventer of the year. And yes, Logan Paul, if he had wrestled the same schedule or if he'd, it was a full-time wrestler. He might very well still be the rookie of the year, but is it fair because he's had three matches now that have both been set up with quality opponents and a lot of work has gone into them and that's all we've seen. We didn't see, you know, like a typical rookie that you'd see in the goddamn rec center in Shively somewhere in front of a small crowd and trying things out in real time and in front of witnesses on the fly. And so it, it's two different kinds of rookies. But what do you think about what I said about signing them? What would oh, you do? Yeah, yes. Well, but can they afford him? Well, they can afford anything they want. Hey, but. listen, in this day and age, if it takes a whole lot of money throwing it at someone like that, and you know, they're going to put everything into it and then get you a lot of publicity and they'll be good at it. And they can work well with you. Again, forget about upsetting the locker room. Who cares at this point? Is it worth throwing a ton of money at someone who's proven it already like that? Well, depending on what the exact measurement of a ton is, because I don't, this guy, you know, makes a ridiculous amount of money doing his boxing and all of his un, other shit. But if it was in any way reasonable that you could get anywhere close to a return on him, counting in all of the publicity and, and et cetera, yeah, because... Where you find a guy like that that already has a built-in audience and takes this seriously and doesn't want to just come in and jack off. Like Shaquille, put me through a table, man. You know, whatever. So, yes, I think they should make every effort to get this fucking guy, but whether he'll do it on a long-term or more full-time basis is up in the air. Depends how creative they can be. Well, I think that it, actually the best thing is for them to be with their contract. For the, well, I'm not talking about yes, I'm talking about for them to be as willing to spend as much money as possible and let Logan do his creative because it seems like he's got himself over better than they get their fucking guys under contract over these days. All right, well, that was WWE Crown Jewel, and of course, if you put money on Logan Paul, if you thought I'm going to pick him against Roman Reigns, I think he will kick out seven times. You may not be doing well today. And if you think this transition sucks, just wait. There's more. Just wait. There's even worse transitions coming. Brian's under the weather. He's got that brain fog today. But I'll tell you what, folks, if you, if you're fogged in financially and you want to figure out a way to make some money, boy, I'll tell you what, our friends at Prize Picks will help you out because they are willing to give you as much as you give them. I will explain Prize Picks is, of course, our friends that run the daily fantasy sports where you make entries on player projections. And, for example, so let's say Cooper Cup, whoever the fuck he may be, 
scores more than 0.5 touchdowns, and you made a prediction or a projection or a prediction would be a projection. It all depends on your diction. If you said he would, then you win money. So, folks, you're not having to compete against other people here. Brian, you know that can get tricky because some people cheat. It's just you versus the projections available. And you pick two to five players and then decide whether they're going to do their thing more or less than their prize picks projection. And you can win up to 10 times your money on any entry. And you can make a projection on almost anything in any sport, NFL, NBA, MLB, NHL, PGA, college football, men's college basketball, women's college basketball, soccer, WNBA, eSports, NASCAR, tennis, MMA, boxing, disc golf, disc golf, disc golf, Euro basketball, cricket, cockfighting, and even more. No cockfighting. Not in most states. Not in any state. Entries can be made in 60 seconds or less. It's that easy, and you can make safe and fast withdrawals. You don't even have to be armed to make a withdrawal. Currently, they're operational at prize picks in over 30 states and Canada. Those fewer than 20 states must be still upset about the cockfighting thing. But right now, unbelievable! if you download the prize picks app, or you go to prizepicks.com to sign up and play the daily fantasy sports. Well, first-time users can get a 100% instant deposit match up to $100 by using the promo code JCE. As if you deposit $100, they give you $100. If you deposit $50, they give you $50. You see how this is working out here. So don't forget to enter the promo code JCE at your sign-up. For an instant deposit match worth up to $100, and then you play the projections, and these people fall on their faces as you predict, and you win money. It's that easy. Prize picks. But don't bet on any of the roosters. Well, once again, that was WWE Crown Jewel that we just talked about, and I'm assuming, I'm hoping that's the end of the reviews we have here this week on the show, correct? Well, we can talk about Raw if you want to. Maybe the most raw part of all the end, because everyone's been asking about what you think about that. But I have to ask you, because I'm curious, and I know typically when a woman starts screaming in Japanese on a wrestling show, you dismiss it. However, it went viral because it was translated. Did you see Asuka and Io Sky going at it on Raw? Yeah, and I'm looking through my notes because the, the marathon show i'm trying to see where it was placed in the program ah an hour about an hour and 20 minutes into the program they had some judgment day bitching in the back Rhea was the star of that and then came bianca and alexa and oscar and bailey and kai and sky and the in-ring promo and they were i didn't know honestly whether it was real Japanese or whether it was that Vito Scotty Japanese soldier on Gilligan's Island Japanese that they used to do it on sitcoms in the 60s because especially Oscar acts that way we've talked about this it's to me that's the most racist thing towards Japanese people or people from that part of the world it she acts like a 5-year-old mindless 
screaming lunatic, and the only difference is they don't do the bad Godzilla English voiceover dub where her lips aren't matching the words. So now I find out they were really speaking in Japanese, which makes sense because they're Japanese people. That would be a language they would know. But somebody, not the WWE, translated it. They were just going at each other in Japanese on American television with no translation, but somebody now has actually translated this. Is this correct? And now you realize Asuka's pretty good as a promo. I've sent you a link. I just oh found boy. it. It mm-hmm. is 50 seconds, so you can watch it. We can listen to your reaction. It has the translations on the screen. So you'll hear them yelling back and forth. You will. And then you'll also get to read what they're saying. And the, the closed captioning for the language impaired, such as myself, right? I don't think it's closed captioning, just translation. Yeah, well, it's, it's, a, it's like the closed captioning. I'm reading it. It's subtitles. Right, but I hate to put the, the same official, thing. I hate to put the official designation to closed captioning. Some guy translated. Is some guy? Is somebody going to sue us over that because we misla- we mislabeled the subtitles as captions? Well, someone who's hard of hearing may have a problem with what we're saying. I don't know. Actually, I have All no right. idea who the hell would be offended by any of this. You're going to be hard of hearing when I hit you over the head with it. All right, so with what? With with my microphone here. You're going to hit me with the microphone? I'm going to hit you with a microphone. I have a microphone, too. This will be the worst sword fight in history. Let's go. Like, like my buddy Rex Chapman, I'm going to wield a microphone like a grudge. Anyway, <laughs> so this is the clip here that I'm about to watch, and they are translating in some fa- in written form on the bottom of the screen what they're saying. And the first thing I see is, is that so, huh? So I'm going to play this thing now. All right. Y'all can't beat us by your true ability, you morons. <laughs> okay. It sounds a lot stupider when she goes, Wah-gah! you know, you always say what you want. How about you admit that you lost? Oh, oh, Japanese, is it? You can speak Japanese? <laughs> of course I can. It's obvious I can speak <laughs> Japanese. Didn't you know that? You can speak Japanese? I didn't know that. Of course I can. Amazing, amazing, amazing. Don't patronize me. This is all I'm going to say. Stupid, 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 stupid. <laughs> hey, are you stupid? What did the idiot say? Stupid, 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 stupid. Stupid. <laughs> so it does sound as stupid in English as it does in Japanese. Oh, you, left, then, off, you left off the big finish. And then the big finish is Sky goes bitch in English and they translate it in Japanese. Well, she didn't say bitch in English. She spat it out like bitch. <laughs> Everybody sounds constipated. Ah, I, I've, it, that's, uh, again, I don't understand how I, I am constantly by the Twitter net community being labeled as so uh, anti-Japanese for my viewpoints that Japanese professional athletes should look like them and look like an athlete instead of a a six-year-old child in Twinkle Toes' fantasies. But yet when they're out there acting, as I said, like a 60s sitcom Japanese character 
on 2022 television, somehow this is all just in good fun. Isn't that WWE? Everyone acts like a 60s TV cartoon character. But I thought, okay, but the guy that grew up watching 60s TV is no longer there. Couldn't they? I thought I was supposed to be the one behind the times. And no one has more of an appreciation for 60s television than I do. But let's, ay, ay, ay. Well, the other big thing on Raw. And well, and uh, hold on. I'm going to say it after that, just so the people know that it didn't end there. It did not end there. Because after they said all that, they all started fighting. And the heels rolled out. And Bianca Belair challenged the other side for the war games at Survivor Series. And then Nikki Cross, who was previously a cosplaying trick-or-treater as Nikki Ass or Ash or whatever it was, uh, she jumped in and they had another horrible sloppy fight and got heat on the baby faces again while the fans literally sat there and stared at the ring. They they juiced up the audio a little bit, but they couldn't even... Because, I mean, people were just standing there gape-mouthed at, like, why will this not be over? And they're going to have a war games over this because they yelled at each other and called it stupid, stupid, stupid. If they want women's equality, right? We're supposed to accept there's going to be women's war games as men's war games and women's Royal Rumble and men's Royal Rumble. You got they got to give them some kind of adult reasons to be mad at each other. Say, you're stupid, but I'm stupid, but you're stupid. Well, I don't know what language you speak. Well, damn you. I want a war games match. What the fuck? All right. You were about to say the other thing. Well, the other thing, and I watched this live. I didn't watch a lot of Raw, but I did see the main event. I said, let me watch this because I was so fascinated with how they would handle this. And unfortunately, it was even worse than I thought it could be. Austin Theory and Seth Rollins at the end of the show, but everything that led up to that was Seth Rollins and Bobby Lashley. Yes, and it was, again, we said it's nice when they have a recurring story thread throughout the program to keep you invested. That's, that's, you know, old-fashioned television. Nothing wrong with that, but the problem is that it was (laughs) building this fucking deal with Seth and Lashley, and again, now Seth, I'm trying to keep track of whose side I'm supposed to be on. Because Seth had already done a promo and and was, you know, in his bizarre gimmick or character or whatever they want to call it that they've given him. But now he's being nice. And not only are the fans singing his song, oh, ee, oh, whoa, or whatever the other, I can't ever remember that tune. But now he's thanking all the fans for being behind him, his 10 years in the WWE and the fans are lightly. Thank you, Rollins. And, you know, as you said, we'd already heard from him. Now he's out there again with more singing and self-backpatting, but he's playing up to the people. And it was very slow. And on screen then, Mustafa Ali pops up to mock Seth Rollins, but is jerked off the screen from off camera by Bobby Lashley. And you hear the sound of 
fake beating up edness. I don't know what the fuck's going on here. And then Lashley gets on the screen and accepts the challenge for the U.S. title. But if it wasn't funny enough already while he's accepting the challenge, Mustafa Ali jumps back on him, so he grabs him and tosses him over a fucking <laughs> equipment case. Like a bag of I, shit. Just like a bag of shit. <laughs> just taking out the fucking hefty bag. And like it and it was phony and funny at the same actually it was phony funny. It wasn't really funny. Ha ha, it was just phony funny. But so then they go to a break. And then they come back and do a recap of Brock and Lashley from over the weekend. And then by the time they get this main event going, they got 15 minutes left on the air. Lashley jump starts it and bounces Seth all over ringside. And they're doing the thing. The match hasn't started yet again. So they can do all this crazy shit for no, with no, Basically, there's no rules against this now. The match hasn't started yet, so they can, with impunity, they can do these things, the word I was searching for. And then the referees and security come out, and Lashley's all over him and runs him into the post, tears up the announce desk, and puts Rollins through the fucking desk. And then the referees and Adam Pierce make Lashley leave, so he does. <laughs> and and Seth is still selling on the floor. So now, remember, I thought it was Brock had turned heel on Lashley because he just attacked Lashley for no apparent reason. And then people said, well, he's still mad from nine months ago. Okay, people say, I carry a grudge. Well, okay, so then he didn't turn heel. He just attacked Lashley. But now we still thought Lashley was supposed to kind of be a baby face. But now Seth, who's been the heel... Stop me when I'm wrong, Brian. Seth, who's been the heel, is now talking nicely to the fans and has just been goddamn annihilated against every law of human decency by the guy who was formerly a babyface, right? Think. Okay. So, there's 10 minutes left in the show, and here comes Austin Theory with the Money in the Bank briefcase. And we go to break. And when we come back, Seth is still down selling on the floor, and the doctor is checking on him. And everything that can be done to a human being has been done to this man's fucking anatomy in the past five minutes, right? And that's when Theory decides to cash in his briefcase for the first time ever. The winner does not cash in the briefcase for the one of the world titles, but for the United States title. Okay, maybe it's personal with him. Theory was the U.S. champion before. So, he then cashes and he tosses Seth Rollins in the ring. And they ring the bell and Theory hits him with a big punch. Boom, look good. Cover, one, two, kick out. And then a suplex. One, two, kick out. And then he hits a pedigree. One, two, kick out. And then Rollins backdrops Theory over the top rope and then starts making a comeback on him. He hits a powerbomb and a super kick and a forearm to the skull. And Theory comes out and hits another, I don't know, what do you call that? 
he hits whatever he hits where he picks him up like a suplex, drops him the back of his head on his knee, and he covers, and Lashley's there and pulls the referee out and beats up Theory and posts him a time or two and puts him in the hurt lock, and Theory is fucking pretty much out cold. And then Seth is selling, and Lashley walks off. And the referee starts counting, because Theory's going to get counted out. And at nine, Theory suddenly, and again, this was, I'm sure, told to him to do in the finish this way. This would be part of a finish that would be relayed exactly. He jumps the fuck up and rolls back in the ring, and Seth Rollins comes alive and hits him with a curb stomp, one, two, three. What the fuck did I just... It's in so many ways. It's like, what the fuck did Theory do? And and who thought... I don't understand. If he had crawled for that first eight of the nine count toward the ring and tried to make his way in or whatever, but he's laying there motionless, and then suddenly he fucking pops up and rolls in, and Rollins is alive after all the shit that was done to Rollins. <laughs> Theory can hit him with three or four different things, but no, he can't beat him. Then the pop-up out of nowhere, and the curb stomp one, two, three, the unsuccessful cash-in, and even a corpse. Theory couldn't even beat a guy that was on death's door from being pummeled by one of the biggest stars in the company. What? Help me. I can't. It makes no sense, because the more you see of Austin Theory, the more you realize just how talented he is. He could talk. He's in great shape. He could work. I was puzzled when he cashed in for the U.S. title. thought, okay, that's a bit interesting, but maybe they don't want to switch the world title or have him in that mix. I, I can get that, I guess. But then he lost. Doesn't make any sense. They've killed this he guy. He lost against a dead, a dead opponent. I saw something, and I may be getting it wrong, but since Vince McMahon's been gone, he's lost like 17 out of 19 matches on TV. <laughs> Like, just something ridiculous like that. There are people pointing to that, and we actually did get an email. I'll read you this question. Uh, let me find this one here. Sent the corny drive through at gmail.com from, uh, I don't know what the, JTK Hulk. Do you think the burial of Austin Theory and the burial slash disappearance of Lacey Evans is Triple H's way of getting back at Vince for ruining pretty much the majority of Triple H's guys that he had elevated in NXT? Since it was known that Austin Theory and Lacey Evans were hand-picked favorites of Vince, and now Vince has to see them job to everyone. What are your thoughts on this idea? Well, no. no, I mean, it's a wonderful conspiracy theory, but no, I would think, first of all, I don't believe that Triple H would not only sacrifice business or talent if he believed in them, or in any way, fuck around like that, just so Vince would be miserable when he watched the show. No. I think for whatever reason, either Triple H doesn't see anything in theory or doesn't like him personally, or maybe there's something that we don't know that he is pissed in somebody's post-toasties that hadn't come to light yet. 
but I don't think Triple H would do that just so Vince wouldn't enjoy the show. With Lacey Evans... Yeah, by the way, Vince is... They still care about Vince. If they didn't, JBL wouldn't be on there managing Baron Corbin. Well, no, actually, no. In all seriousness, that's the only other part of Raw that's worth watching is when JBL comes oh, out. Oh, he the, sucks. He from sucks. the time he starts talking till the time he introduces Baron Corbin, that's the only other entertaining part of the program. Nah. Because uh, he's so natural at it. He's a fucking shit disturber with a personality. He's a favorite of Vince. So when you're arguing that all Vince's favorites are being put off TV, what does it say about the fact that all of a sudden he's there? Well, but also show me anybody that is as good and natural and effortless as that is coming out and being a real fucking prick. But no He's one cares. It's JBL. Great. It's JBL. But, no it, it, but at least I can enjoy for 90 seconds listening to this program when he's talking. But nevertheless, Triple H wouldn't do that. With this, It's got to be something else. With Lacey Evans, I believe they can, they've taken her off television because that introduction was so convoluted and the initial, you know, uh, matches and she turned heel and blah, blah, blah. I think they probably just said, whoa, let's just stop this whole thing and reevaluate this because she has a ton of potential. And I don't see why they would waste that if they wanted to make Vince. If that was even a motive and they wanted to make Vince mad, then maybe they'd beat his guy or girl on TV, but they wouldn't just take him off and they'd disappear. That's the best thing that can happen when somebody's going in the wrong direction. And that just, makes sense for Lacey Evans, but the theory one still, I mean, every time you no, try no, to wrap your head around it, what the hell is going on? This is just, uh, and you know, sometimes there's, there's sometimes you just don't see something in talent, even though everybody else does. And maybe is that the, I don't fucking know, but I don't know how you could overlook this. Or has he really ticked somebody off? Did he guess, did he start getting a big head when he was Vince's? Did he, was he hard with the office to deal with? I don't know. Grasping at straws here. We know that WWE loves punishing people publicly. They did it to Triple H for a year. Just so happens he's in charge now, and it's been ever since Vince has been gone. I know he had the briefcase, and in a sense, that should give you some cachet there, but he's been losing every single match. He's been treated like a jerk every single episode. Give him credit. He hasn't given up. His work is good. His promos are still good. But do you think there's anything to the idea of, we're the WWE, we're going to punish you and humble you until you become who we want you to be? Again, I don't know why they would reverse a course like that, you know, on something they already had going just to to revamp this kid's, you know, uh, opinion or attitude or whatever the case. But, I, you know, it, it's it's sometimes frustrating. You look at Triple H and you think he was in a big money drawing era. He associated with a lot of the best minds, whether some of those minds were altered at one point or another, who knows, but he knows what draws money and he, he, he wants to be more wrestling. And then here is fucking Johnny Gargano all over the program. And theory is getting beaten like a government mule. It's just, it's boggling. And they're desperate for main eventers. And they're desperate for main eventer and main eventers in the future, two years from now, which is 
what they ought to be looking at for him right now. I don't know. Well, on the bright side, Austin Theory, I believe, used that name before he ever signed with WWE. Well, good. Maybe that's the problem. They're going to beat it, beat him, and get people to not give a shit about Austin Theory, and then bring him back as Henry Finkelstein. I was going to say maybe he could appear on another program as Austin Theory at some point, but that was Raw. That's all we're going to talk about from Raw because it's a Raw show. Well, I, I will, I will bring up one other thing. Oh no. One other thing from the, they started with the Usos and Solo in the ring and people were chanting for Sammy. He wasn't there, but they did an interview. The new day interrupted. We know what's going to happen, right? Either a promo in a fight or a promo in a match or both. And the, they threw in a wild card riddle interrupted at 14 minutes into this show. They were still doing this. And he came out in an evil Knievel outfit with bongos and he joined in on it, and by the time that they made the six-man tag, 17 minutes into the program, and when they came back from the break and rang the bell, they went three minutes of match and went to break again, <laughs> and then they came back and went about five minutes and took another break, and they came back, and by the time this was over, which it was a really good finish to this six-man tag, 41 minutes into the show for just that one piece of business, interview, six-man tag. And they wonder why people have fucking birthdays and give birth during this program, conceive and give birth during this program. I was shocked when going through this on my DVR. I was shocked how long this opening series of segments was. Yes. And it it continues that way. I started marking how fur, how fur, I sound like ain't Lola now, how fur we were into the show, how far we were into the show after each thing, because, and they actually also, the rib match, and now earlier they had Theory in a match against Shelton Benjamin, and they gave oh. them four, yes. I didn't hear anything about that, wow. Yes, no, because they gave them like three to four minutes. And they had to go 100 miles an hour and rush through everything. Sheldon Benjamin still looks incredible physically. And both these guys can have an incredible match. And it was a throwaway thing where they gave him four minutes. Nobody gave a shit about it. And Theory gouged eyes and hit his finish. One, two, three. And then here comes Miz and that fucking Johnny same face. And they did a long promo. And then a... A fucking long goddamn match and all this bullshit. And it took 15, 20 minutes. And so, again, we've seen these guys, Miz, and we've seen all we want to see a Gargano a long time ago because we've seen all there is. The one face and the one match and the one tone and the one expression. Bunch of moves, kick out of everything. But we can't see athletes to build for the future if shelton benjamin had had 12 minutes to put theory over where it wasn't a throwaway and it was made to seem important and they had time to let shit register you would accomplish something instead we get miz talking and miz having a miz match now with same face for four or five times as long as those guys got so that was yeah bleh bleh all righty. Boy, Triple yeah. H and Shawn Michaels love Johnny Gargano. I don't get it. I don't either. 
Because Michaels was a smaller guy, but he was never lacking in personality. He always looked like some kind of rock star. He, you know, he had the mental psychology, even if sometimes he didn't apply it or he applied it against his opponent instead of with him, whatever the case. It's your show. Right. Well, whatever the case, that was raw. And of course, for various reasons, I get a little down when I have to watch Raw and when Jim has to review it here on my show. But there's lots of things in the world that get people down. And Jim, for the listeners out there having a rough time, we do have someone they can call. Well, I'll tell you what, Brian, I get down about Raw sometimes also. But you know what? Our program is not sponsored by Raw, but it is indeed sponsored by BetterHelp. That's right. This show, this episode, the thing you are listening to right now is brought to you by BetterHelp because that's what we want you to get is better help. You know, Brian, I've told you a million times, I get these new technological devices, the computers and the smart stuff. They don't have a, a manual you can read. They don't have a user's manual, an instruction booklet. It's the same thing about life. Life does not come with an instruction manual. So sometimes you got to talk to people who have different experiences to help you figure out the way to, what do, what do the kids call them, the hacks to work around these things. Life doesn't come with a user manual. It's normal to feel stuck. And if you navigate any of life's challenges, you can feel unsure, whether it's new career, new job, new relationship, becoming a parent, admitting that you're becoming a parent, possibly taking blood tests, overbecoming a parent, whatever the case that you're coping with, Therapists at BetterHelp are trained to help you figure out the cause of challenging emotions and learn productive coping skills. Because the coping of anything is the most important part. It's not the thing, it's the coping with the thing. Sounds like a Seinfeld bit. Anyway, therapy, they say, is the closest thing to a guided tour of the complex engine called you. And they BetterHelp will not fix your car engine, but they will connect you along with over 3 million other people that they've already connected with licensed therapists. It's convenient, accessible anywhere, 100% online, and as the world's largest therapy service, all you have to do is fill out a brief questionnaire to match, get matched up with a therapist. If things don't click, you can switch to a new one anytime. All these folks are professionally licensed, available 100% online. It's affordable. No waiting rooms, no traffic, and there's not a lot of reading material either. For some people, that's important. Learn more and save 10% off your first month's services by going to betterhelp.com slash J-C-E. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P, dot com slash J-C-E. And hey, when you get matched up just with the therapist, tell them you've got a raw problem. You just, you've got a problem with raw. If they can just help you get through raw, then the rest of your life will be downhill from there or uphill. Did we ever solve that? Well, I think for some of us, we've solved it. You seem to still have a debate internally. Well, you about still, you don't, you don't want to old, old uncle Ned's going downhill, but downhill seems like it'd be the easiest with the path of least resistance. But if he's going downhill, it's, it's, you know, it's bad. So if he's going uphill, he's he's gaining, he's climbing, he's getting better. Well, for the record, this show is going downhill. 
It's your show. It's my show. Jim, let's get some questions finally here. A very popular topic. This one sent on Twitter using the hashtag corny drive through is from I love baby girl Liv Morgan. Oh boy. What does Jim think of Matt Hardy saying that the elite were totally innocent because he saw what happened after the brawl out? Excuse me, after the brawl out investigation. I guess that's now what it's being called, the brawl out. The brawl out. Then later on Twitter saying he didn't see the brawl, but he saw every bit of the investigation from the beginning to end. And <laughs> um, for the record, I do have a couple of uh, quotes here. How do you see the investigation? They didn't send Columbo down in a raincoat to like uh, talk to the fucking entire locker room the at at a variety of events you wouldn't have seen the invest they were talking to the people that were involved in that particular incident and not even all of them as we have found out and i don't think that other people who were not there or not involved were invited to come and watch the proceedings well let me read you a couple of quotes from matt this first one i will say this right here and right now those guys, the elite, didn't do anything wrong in this situation. If anything, they were the victims. I'm telling you that from a first-person perspective. I was there. I witnessed it all. He followed that tweet up with... Well, wait a minute. So, so basically what he said was, I'm telling you that these guys who idolized me and... and dressed like me and gave me this high-paying job when nobody else would and potentially will also bring my brother back whenever he gets his situation sorted out. And and they dress like him, too. And by the way, did we mention they gave us these high-paying jobs? And I think they're really great guys. That's pretty much what he's saying. These guys kissed my ass. They got me a job here. I'm dead weight, yet I have a job, and it's all because of the Young Bucks. So then he issued a second statement. Here it is on Twitter. My comments from this week's Matt Hardy pod have been misconstrued. I was not at All Out 2022. <laughs> I did not say I witnessed the events at All Out. I witnessed the entire process in real time over the months and stand by my comment that the elite were not in the wrong. Wait a minute. Well, then back up. What was that first comment again? The first comment. Let me go back to the first comment. Because maybe, you know, I was eating, I was having a snack, I was having a, a bite of this fried broccoli patty that I've got next to me here. I didn't hear it right. I will say this right here and right now. Those guys didn't do anything wrong in this situation. If anything, they were the victims. I'm telling you that from a first-person perspective. I was there! I witnessed it all! <laughs> And the second comment again. The second comment after I was there, I witnessed it all. I was not at All Out 2022. <laughs> I did not say I witnessed the events at All Out. I witnessed the entire process in real time over the months and stand by my comment that the elite were not in the wrong. Well, I'm glad we got that all cleared up. Where was he? Does anybody know where he was? Yeah, for once, Tony didn't bring He wasn't even in. there. No. <sighs> but, you know, again, he is someone who we know who his friends are, and we certainly know who his friends aren't. And him and his brother, the word is that they hate CM Punk and have for a while. That, I can believe that. That might be a thing that would happen. 
Hey, realistic question. You think they're going to bring Jeff back? Well, and how could you if you're a promoter? You know, here's it's probably for quite some time, and I think we said this recently, it's probably counterproductive to bring Jeff back to put if he's doing well to put him in the environment where it appears he doesn't do that well, even if that's, you know, the thing that he loves. He he loves his wrestling and he loves his music. But to do either of those things, you go on the road, you go around things you probably shouldn't be going around. And then at if he was in his 20s or even 30s, but at his age and the damage he's done to his body, do you, then how can you say, well, take a few years and get your personal life in order and then maybe it'll be comfortable for you to come back because he might not have a few years. So. I don't, you know, and we don't know what his current contractual situation is. I assume he, whatever contract he signed at the start, if it is still in effect, would still be in effect. But with all this that's gone on, did did Tony just say, you know, maybe this isn't working out? Who knows? I don't know that it's, you know, it may be worth it business-wise. I mean, my God, who else have they got that can even get, you know, the, the interest that Jeff can get, but is it best for Jeff? But that's, but let me ask you that. Do you think Jeff has the same interest now that he had a year ago or two years well, ago? No. Well, he, well, no, he doesn't have, he doesn't have the same level of interest he had when he was the hottest wrestler in the world fucking 10 years ago or whatever. And shit started happening, but he, on again, grading on their scale on the AEW roster, he's got more interest and more, name recognition and more fans, more whatever than most. I, I, but at the same time, maybe the people who, the people who really just love Jeff Hardy want to see him come back and wrestle. And they don't think about his personal situation. Do a lot of people, are they thinking, well, now let's, let's just see if it's a train wreck. We're interested just to see what he's going to do when he comes back. And they're not, hoping for a good outcome. I don't fuck it, but uh, to do more damage to his body, to exacerbate his personal issues, probably a, a thing that he shouldn't be wrestling for a while, but how long does he have left to wrestle at all? I don't think it's worth the risk. If it happens one more time, Tony Khan and his organization can't say, oh, we didn't know, or we didn't yeah. think it would happen. I mean, it's just too risky at this point. The guy has not shown any sign that he could take personal responsibility and do things that wouldn't endanger other people. Well, we don't know what he's been doing since the last time that he did that. So, you know, we can't say that now. Right now, we know Jeff Hardy's not responsible. Maybe he is getting responsible. He hadn't made any more fucking news. But 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 you can't you can't stay responsible when you're doing the shit that he does, either damaging his body or going out on the road or whatever the fuck. He was going to a fucking was he not going to a trial hearing for something else when they pulled him over and he was three times the legal limit? Oh, I don't know. I thought he was going to get a no. cat scan. No, he would, that's right. He was going to get a cat scan for his brain damage. So he at nine o'clock in the morning. So he decided to have multiple shots of fireball. Because he he wasn't home. That's right. He, he was, was in Florida. Florida some fucking where. He needs to be home. 
I think the the best thing that everybody should do when they have troubles go home, get away from your goddamn, um, you know, teases and, you know, just control your environment for a little while. Even if AEW decided to bring him back, even if Nick Jackson goes and begs Tony and says he's a changed guy and I forgive him and you should forgive him and let's give him a eighth chance. How would you use him? Because you certainly can't use him as a singles in a main event situation because A, I think we saw that in the ring, there were a lot of issues during his previous run in AEW, even though you need main eventers, and you also can't rely on him. So how would you even use Jeff Hardy if you have him back? Do you just put him in a well, tag team with Matt and just use him like that until the end of the days? You know, that that's the thing is that of a reunion like the Hardys, they should have had a plan in place. Maybe they, this was their plan, but they should have had a good plan in place at the start to maximize their first two or three high-profile matches and then give it to them sporadically from that point on. Because when you first, when they brought them back in with underneath guys and spoiled the the first reunion on a match that was not goddamn in any way going to interest anybody. Then that took some of the bloom off of it. And then you should know you're living on borrowed time with either one because they brain damaged Matt two or three times before Jeff got there in this company. And with the stuff they do, they should have known a chance of injury was high. So they could have made the most out of two or three high profile matches, a, Obviously, a pay-per-view first, then a big TV match, then maybe the next pay-per-view, and then, you know, make less is more, make the Hardys wrestling for the next nine months something halfway special, and you would have got your return out of it. But as it was, like with everything else, Tony couldn't wait and just has booking diarrhea and just blows everything out there. And then by the time that Jeff had his incident, well, fucking, he's going to get checked for brain damage also that they gave him. The Hardys were just two of the boys at that point. It'd only been, what, two or three months. Well, Jim, another quote that's got people worked up because it's coming in as we are recording. Here's one of them sent on Twitter using the hashtag corny drive through from Grant Cameron. What is Jim Cornette's thoughts on BG? Down under. Grant, down in New Zealand, right? I believe so. What is Jim Cornette's thoughts on BG James saying Bret Hart wasn't a great wrestler? What? And that he was a better sports entertainer. What? And that's where the money is. Hold on, I have a... The Wait quote. a minute, Bret, now how... Brett was a better sports entertainer than he was a wrestler? I have a quote so here. What? Well, no, BG James is saying he was a better sports entertainer than Bret was, but let me... Here's a quote <laughs> from uh, The Road Dog. For me personally, and that's all you're ever going to get from me, ever, is because that's all I got. It's my only reference point. I never saw what the big deal was with Bret Hart as a performer. Huh? I never understood it. He was a great worker, and I thought about saying good, but he was a great worker. He worked better than me, tenfold. Worked circles around me. Don't think I've ever told anybody I was as good a wrestler. Because I haven't, and if you listen to me, you know that's true. I don't think I was a good wrestler. I don't think Brett was a great wrestler. I think I was a better sports entertainer than Brett was. And that's where the money is. 
that was a long route to get to for that punchline. But and I love the Armstrong family. Never had any problem with anybody in it, including Brian. But I guess he's he's acting like it's better to be a good sports entertainer than a great wrestler. And his father probably would be upset to hear that. Even if you want um, to go with that argument, Brett was well. I think Brian's talking about you know sports entertainment, the 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 DX shit. Right. The, Finding the, a catchphrase the, and just repeating it every single night so people could say it with you. That's not a good wanna, sports entertainer. Yes. That's a lazy sports entertainer. Uh, no, that's good sports entertainment because sports entertainment sucks to begin with. That's basically the, the premise here. I guess Brian now has conflated and or the people around him conflate being a good wrestler with a good personality and cutting a good promo as now as being a good sports entertainer. There's sports entertainment promos and there's still good wrestling promos that are better than sports entertainment promos. Having gone through all that minutia, I sound like I'm beating around as much of a bush as Road Dog just did. Yes, probably one would say that Brian Road Dog was a more entertaining, a more fun promo. Of, of He can sing, Brett can't sing. He can tell jokes, Brett can't tell jokes. Save his life, he's Canadian. So is Al Costello a better promo than Brett? Well, it, it actually, Al Costello <laughs> was a very verbose gentleman. <laughs> but the thing is, and I'm not trying to knock any member of the Armstrong family, and it's all this, some people think that the fun part of pro wrestling was sports entertainment. Nothing about pro wrestling was sports fucking entertainment. That is That label is indicative of the phony hoo-ha and the bad comedy and all the other shit that we've had to endure over the last 30 years. So the point I was going to make is, were Brian's promos more fun to listen to than Bret Hart's? Probably. Did Bret Hart's promos draw more money? Definitely. Because Bret also was a great, believable wrestler. And he was a main event guy, and he was on top. And Road Dog and Billy were the fun tag team. And they did all the, you know, the the fun catchphrases and everything, and there was a lot of sports entertainment to that. But you can't say that the money's in sports entertainment because then Brett drew more money than DX did, or at least Road Dog and Billy's part of DX. But there's also plenty of goddamn entertainment in pro wrestling. And, you know, I think that's where we need to make the distinction. Brian's getting with the, the, the kids up in the WWE these days and thinking if it's entertaining, it has to be sports entertainment and wrestling was all dry. No, that's not the case. So, was Brian more fun and more entertaining to listen to or sometimes to watch work just in a fun-loving aspect? Yes. Was Brett a better wrestler, as Brian just said. Yes, he was. And were his promos better? Yeah, they kind of were because they drew more money because it was in part of the package. Jim, several people have sent in questions over the last couple of days asking your thoughts about the news that MJF has been cast in the Von Erich biopic The Iron Claw, as well as PW Insider having exclusive reporting that MJF will be playing Lance Von Erich in the film. Oh, this, <laughs> that's what I read the headline. 
Like, however it was worded, MJF cast in Von Eric biopic. I said, Gino, he's fucking Gino. It's perfect. And then I read down further. I see the other thing or what it's Lance Von Eric. I'm by God. This is going to be the first time in history. Lance Von Eric was more interesting than the rest of the boys. Cause I don't care who they've cast, wherever they've cast them. Nobody's going to be more interesting in this movie than MJF, but Lance Von Eric. It's going to be great. All of a sudden, in the middle of the movie, after they establish everything with the family and the different characters, and they've yeah. got some really good actors in this thing, all of a sudden, then they're going to introduce the fake Von Eric, and it's going to be MJF. How, how's he not going to be great in that? Um, but can you see that now? When I, when I just said that, MJF, Gino Von Eric, or G- Gino Von, Gino Von Eric. MJF, I Gino can't Hernandez. You yeah, you've thrown me off. We got a lot of distractions today. There's people on the other side of the wall again. Actually, I think they're the fucking internet service providers that oh, are still it. stuck in my wall. There are not ISPs in your because wall. Because I looked outside and there was nobody on the roof, but I hear people talking inside the wall. I don't know. Where. Anyway, yeah, Gino Hernandez anyway. <laughs> for MJF. That's where I was going with that. That was my first thought, because I couldn't imagine, I mean. Maybe Iceman Parsons, if they want to let him show his acting skills. No, but. Iceman Parsons would be a horrible Gino Hernandez. Who's going to be in the film? I mean, obviously the Von Erichs, Lance Von Erichs, are they going to cover that part of the story, which is good to have in that film? Do you think they'll be Freebirds? I know it sounds silly, but it is a biopic, and they play, you know, they take liberties with the truth usually. Yeah, but well, but they ha- there has to be Freebirds because the boys, you know, premiere feud and what put world class on the map in the 80s was the Freebirds von Eric. So there has to be Freebird. Is there will there be a Gary Hart? And where are you gonna Ooh. find him, brother? Who would play Terry Gordy? That's what I want to see. Because <laughs> it could you know, be a great role if you get the right person. Well but we say this all the time and actually Young Rock's back on the air and I'm gonna watch the first episode. We're gonna talk about it on the experience this week oh, and, no. and keep up with that. Because they're in Memphis now this year apparently. Destroying uh, history now in another decade. Young Rock returns history for history another... in all other decades. But that's the thing we say every time when we well look at this schlub they cast as so and so. No human beings look like any of these guys, which is why they were all stars. And every once in a while, you get somebody that can. That Luke Hawks did a great job on Steve Austin's mannerisms and his method of speaking, and you've got people that can simulate the mannerisms or the little personal picadillos of the voice or whatever but nobody hardly anybody actually looks like these people looked and that's why they got over it was they were unusual you had to pay to see individuals that look like this and i still say fucking downtown bruno has got to be bribing the producers because goddamn he's never looked so clean and so jacked up and in such good shape. Serious question. Has The Rock ever been involved in a project that was good? Oh, come on. He is. Every project he has is some dumb movie. He's or it's a horrible TV show. The world. Because he's in a bunch of dumb movies. There are people all around the world that want to see a bunch of big, dumb idiots on steroids drive around fast in cars. <laughs> there are other people who want movies with plots, good stories. I don't know. Well, now you just ask for too much. I don't know. See, that's a rock. The rock is so natural at being himself. We've talked about on young rock, any scene that he does, you like him, you don't like the Randall park or the other 
dipshit or whatever, but but he's being himself or and his movie characters are the Scorpion King side of himself or the fucking secret agent side of himself or the whatever. It's always it's just he's got so much charisma. He can do any fucking thing. But if, if who would play him in a fucking movie? Who out there looks like The Rock if you had to play The Rock in a fucking movie? You'd have to get some bodybuilder loaded to the gills on growth hormone. That's the only and, person that would fit. And then they wouldn't have any goddamn talent. Right. Or they wouldn't have any personality. I'll give him that. He's got charisma and he's got talent for those films. It's just all of his films are terrible and his TV show's terrible and every project he's involved with is terrible. But otherwise than that, he's a hell of a guy. But he's a great sports entertainer. Oh, come on. Not as good as Road Dog. Not as good as Road Dog, but, you know, we could all try, I guess. Jim, another question, another popular topic that several people have sent in questions about. This one sent to CourtneyDriveThrough at gmail.com from Steve. Recently, Mick Foley emoted his neurological, muscular, and skeletal issues that are so immense he's paying a steeper price than he ever thought imaginable. He emoted them? That's the way it's written here by Steve. No wonder you go to Charlie so much. What are your thoughts on Mick Foley revealing this? And also, Steve says here, what led to the rise of extreme hardcore wrestling? Is it still around? Is the younger generation of wrestlers more resistive, more resistive to styles that can lead to extreme long-term damage? I think they're more resistive to emoting. <laughs> um, well, no, obviously they're not at all resistant to shit that will cause long-term damage because if you've looked at the Injury list just in AEW and the WWE, uh, you know, for fuck's sake, looks like a goddamn battlefield. Um, hey, and I, with Mick, yeah. Just because ahead. I was thinking about this and I forgot timing wise, when Mick took the bump Hell in a Cell through the cage into the ring, was that before or after you had changed the rings or had the rings changed? That was, God damn it, that's a good question. It may have just been right beforehand, now that I'm thinking about it. Because that was a pretty goddamn... Well, if... Go back and notice in whether it was early 98, mid-98, sometime around that point in time, you will see if a guy takes a big bump, especially a heavy guy, when he landed on the old rings, his body bounced off the ring, but the ring didn't move. (laughs) And then with the new ring, you saw some give in the mat that still exists there today. Not as much as a good old-fashioned southern suspension ring. They still had to monkey with it, but there's some. So on a lot of those, the old Hulk Hogan rings from the early 80s and before especially, you'll see guys land and their body bounces, but it's like they hit concrete. And then, you know, after the change, the ring was giving somewhat, but I can't remember, to be honest, whether it's before or after that Hell in a Cell match. At that point, a little give wouldn't have made a goddamn big bunch of difference anyway. But having said that, was I... He also asked in a very unwieldy fashion, our questioner, whether I was surprised that Mick talked about all the pain and things he's dealing with. No, I'm not surprised. Uh, I would be surprised if he said, you know, I'm, I'm fucking playing tennis every day and turning cartwheels and I'm, you know, on the trampoline doing gymnastics and feeling great. 
he put his body through almost everything that a human being can do to one's body. And it became a rib in the end. Even when he was in WCW in 1990 at Christmas, 89-90, I think it was, at Christmas time, he went home to New York and was riding with some friends of his, got a minor car wreck. And he was banged up and had, I think he either called me, he said he had to take a day or two off. He'd rejoin at TV or something like that, but it wasn't a huge thing. But as soon as he was back in the locker room and Arn Anderson saw him, he said, well, I heard you got hurt in a car wreck. What'd you do? Run off the rim of the Grand Canyon? Like anything else wouldn't have been something he'd take a day off for. So he already had that reputation and we've talked about this with the hardcore craze or fascination with the modern wrestlers that got in the business all they saw was a stupid bump that would get them on a goddamn viral funny video show or now viral twitter they never recognized the talent, the psychology, the charisma, the likability that Mick had, the other aspects that he brought to the whole thing. The bumps got him noticed, and then he created his own world out of the whole thing, and people were into him as a personality. And maybe these other yahoos and these fucking bank-addicted drug robbers or whatever, they think, well, I'm special, and I've got all those things, so I'll just fly off the roof of a factory through a flaming fucking 69 Chevy with a dog in the fucking mirror with the head going blah, 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 or whatever. And then they'll notice how brilliant I am as a thespian. No, because you're just some fucking schlub in a barn somewhere slicing yourself up and doing stupid shit in front of mutants for no money, and you don't have talent that exists anywhere else in your body. So so Mick has to bear responsibility, uh, along with Terry Funk, who went into that shit with him. They said, it's in Japan. We're getting 25 grand a match. You know, this shit would never fly in America. But a bunch of impressionable, stupid people that didn't understand what wrestling was saw all this shit and just saw the the chaos and the carnage and not the meaning or the talent behind the rest of it. And that's where we ended up with all this garbage wrestling bullshit. So no, I'm not um, surprised that Mick is suffering effects from this. And I hope they're as minimal as possible. And he's known it was going to happen. But I think even he said, if he'd have known all that was going to happen, maybe he would have rethought some things. Well, Jim, perhaps a young wrestler looks back and sees some of the things that were done, some of the damage that was done to the industry, and wants to look back on some of the wrestlers who did some of these things that led us down this road, and they want to sue. Well, in that case, they shouldn't call our friend because they wouldn't have a case. <laughs> but if you have a case, ladies and gentlemen, and I'm not talking about a case of contagious airborne diseases, I'm talking about a legal case. If someone has terminated you, Without reason, if someone has infringed upon your rights, if someone has harmed or damaged you or a member of your family or immediate social circle, then we know the guy that you got to call. Stupid, 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 stupid.
Stephen P. And you know what? He doesn't care whether you're a little guy or a big guy. If you've got a case and you've got right on your side, he will fight for you. And he doesn't care if you're a little guy or a big guy, if you're on the wrong side. He's he's taken down the, the Degum governor of West Virginia, old Governor Justice over there. We heard, we talked about the state of emergency that the governor declared in West Virginia because Stephen P. knew on behalf of all the inmates at all the substandard jails and facilities in West Virginia has filed a, a suit on their behalf, and it, it got the governor up in arms, and he can do the same thing for you. And by the way, if all things go right, we won't need Manchin anymore. That Democrat in name only, maybe the next thing that Stephen can do is file a class action suit against Manchin for being a a wolf in sheep's clothing, and just imitating a Democrat. But nevertheless, as I mentioned, if you've been terminated or someone's just tried to kill you through negligence or avaricious greed, if they have poisoned your water or your air or even your food, if somebody's been slipping you a Mickey, you got to call Stephen P. New at newlawoffice.com, 888-692-8084. This man... As we've mentioned so many times on the program, he can take the hold of your hand and he can lead you through the shark-infested legal waters of the American jurisprudence system and he can deliver you safely to the other side where that side is labeled prosperity because that's another thing Stephen P. New does. He gets his clients paid. You're going to get paid one way or the other, even if he has to rough somebody up. That's the links that well, Stephen no. P. New will go to for his clients. No, every once in a while, he's got to go out back behind the courthouse, and he's got to take one of those opposing counsels, and he's got to grab them up by the no. necktie. No, he does not do that. And he's got to slap them back and forth, paintbrush them around the head and face, and tell them to modify no. their behavior. That's what he does. Stephen P. New is an officer of the court, and he would never do anything of the sort. However, That's why he, will... he takes them around back in the alley, and he doesn't do it in the court. He will metaphorically do that to them in court. And then he'll no, back and forth no, he won't. to him back in the alleyway. He will leave the other lawyers alone in the back alley, and he will kick their ass in court. Well, I'm telling you, if you want a lawyer that'll go up to somebody else's lawyer in a back alley and take care of business, call Stephen P. New at newlawoffice.com, 888-692-8084. Hey, you want an attorney that spends a lot of his time in back alleys? That's that's where they found Why? out all the good information. Where do you think Paul Drake used to hang around when he was inspectifying for Perry Mason? He was the inspector. Yeah. He wasn't the lawyer. He, he hung around in floozy areas and dive bars and back in the alleys. That's where you get all the good information. Perry Mason had his own kind of bars that he was going to. But again, he was the lawyer. That was the investigator. Stephen P. New is yeah. the lawyer. He doesn't need to do the investigation himself. Well, Stephen is a renaissance man. He does a little bit of everything. <laughs> he'll check things out, then he'll prosecute it in court. And if things don't go the right way in court and the opposing counsel or potentially even the judge doesn't exhibit the right amount of good behavior and manners, then 
They got to go home sometime, and Stephen P. New will cross their path on the way home. The Renaissance man, Stephen P. New. Boom. Whoop, boom. Pop him right, pop him, he'll pop him right in the eye socket. He'll close what's open and open what's closed on their face. Once again, ladies and gentlemen, Stephen P. New will not be assaulting any other attorneys, either in a well, back alley or on Main Street. Nobody will ever finger him for it. They won't actually testify against him, because you know what that'll mean, but. All right, well. Stephen P. New. Speaking of renaissance, let's talk about what was an attempted wrestling renaissance. Smoky Man Wrestling, here's a question for you, Jim. Sent to CornyDriveThru at gmail.com from Johnny. I was watching an episode of Smoky Man Wrestling from November 25th, 1995. And there was a wrestler named Ron Davis, billed from Post Office Box 24, Gate City, Virginia. <laughs> I've never heard a wrestler introduced like that. Can you explain? <laughs> also, he wrestled the Wolfman. What can you tell us about him? About the Wolfman? Ron Davis. Or the Wolfman. He's going to rate your record high. Well, I'll tell you, that was actually the last episode of Smoky Mountain Wrestling Television that was ever broadcast. Show number 198, Thanksgiving weekend. And at the time, obviously, we were going through a situation where we were looking for funds. And the Wolfman, and I know we're going to get to Ron Davis in a minute in the post office, and the Wolfman was a local guy who had wrestled on, I guess, the lowest level, lowest rung outlaw mud shows in East Tennessee. Imagine where we're at there. You know, that's about the first rung of the fucking ladder, right? East Tennessee outlaw mud shows. But a friend of his was, again, I remember this name, a guy named Bill Falloon. And Bill Falloon was the head honcho of the Life Extension Foundation, which was some company that he had set up to sell these vitamins and supplements. And basically, if we would let the Wolfman wrestle on television, then he would buy a sponsorship for, I can't remember, it was a couple thousand dollars a month or whatever of commercials for these vitamins and supplements. And the Wolfman was even in one of the commercials. He had a body. My God, it looked like he'd been floating in the river for three days. And he had, and he, I don't know how old he was. He was one of those people, however old he was, he looked older. And had long white hair and a shaggy beard. And my God, I don't want to take his fucking vitamins. But anyway, so Wolfman was, in the last month or six weeks of, Smoky Mountain Wrestling, he was actually on some of the TVs and, I believe, in the house shows over the Halloween Scream Tour uh, that was the previous month. And on that TV taping, and Ron Davis, I think, I can't remember whether he was the guy that was working at a convenience store in Morristown, Tennessee, and wanted to wrestle or whatever. He, again, was doing outlaw shows, and we needed a job guy. And in the production meeting, as best I can remember, we didn't know what Ron Davis's hometown was. And I was 
tired and feeling a bit silly anyway, and I put down what at the time had been the previous post office box address of the my significant other. And uh, and he was announced as from Post Office Box 24, Gate City, Virginia. I don't know why any of that happened. I've just I've just told you, and now that I said it out loud, I don't know why I went for any of it. I was going slowly mad. And it took all these years for us to get a question about it. I don't even remember. To get this. a it took 25 years to get a question about it. Well, everybody was wondering where Ron Davis's hometown was. All right, Jim. Well, let's get another question here on the show. This one was sent. The corny drive through at gmail.com from Kevin in North Carolina. I was in high school at the time of Mid-South Wrestling. I am from the Fort Smith, Arkansas area. At the time, Fort Smith was the second largest city in the state. Do you know why Mid-South did not run shows there? Uh, well, Fort Smith is on the border of Oklahoma. They're down in the, the uh, what would that be, the southwestern quadrant of Arkansas. And honestly, it was kind of out of the way for the way the territory was laid, uh, laid out in that Little Rock ran every two weeks. Little Rock, Arkansas was picked up for when, when Watts absorbed all the rest of Leroy McGurk's territory. Watts had opened in... Mississippi and Louisiana, but when McGurk folded, he ended up taking Arkansas and and Oklahoma as well. But he had already set up every market in Louisiana was a regular market. Alexandria, Shreveport, Monroe, uh, Baton Rouge, New Orleans, Lake Charles, Lafayette. Then he had Houston every two weeks. Uh, Biloxi, Mississippi, Jackson, Mississippi ran every two weeks. Uh, Greenwood and Greenville were uh, Mississippi because of his deal with the Curtis family, the Culkin family. They were run on a fairly regular spot show basis. The only towns that Watts ever ran in the state of Oklahoma were Tulsa and Oklahoma City because World Class out of the Dallas office was running South southern oklahoma spot shows lawton things like that and they owned a piece of oklahoma city right and well it, it, fritz because the tv was on in oklahoma city and tulsa and fritz would send world-class talent up he had a couple of points or however many maybe five or whatever in each town so he had a vested reason somewhat in seeing business there do well but Watts didn't run anything else in Oklahoma because the distances were so great. The towns weren't that big. Oak City and Tulsa, our best day for an afternoon and evening show, we sold 20,000 tickets in the same day for the two towns. There wasn't anywhere else in Oklahoma was going to do any business anywhere like that. Arkansas was kind of the same thing. Yes, you had... They ran Hope, Arkansas once a year with the conjunction with the Watermelon Festival. And you had some, you know, spot shows in southern Arkansas in between Little Rock and Alexandria every one, or, yeah, or Louisiana, rather, Little Rock and Louisiana every once in a while. But I, I don't think they thought that Fort Smith, especially as close as it kind of was to Shreveport, which was up in the corner there, 
I don't think they thought it was going to be a regular town. It was going to do any kind of business it, it, to get the guys all that far when it's already a 4,000 mile a week territory in the car. So he, he never really exploited spot shows in Oklahoma and Arkansas, especially in the Northern part of Arkansas, like he did in Louisiana and to a lesser extent, Mississippi, because it was closer to where the guys lived. And yeah, you'll make them drive 500 miles for Oak City. We got a $2,000 payoff there one night. But you're going to make them drive 350 miles to go to Fort Smith? Eh, maybe not. Are there any other towns you could think of from Mid-South or other places you worked? I know in Smoky Mountain there were specific towns you wanted from the very beginning to open up and get TV in because you thought it would have helped the company, and it would have. Yeah. When you look at Mid-South or World Class or even Crockett, are there towns in the territory that you're surprised they either didn't go for or that you know they wanted to and they couldn't get in? Um, no, the, the Mid-South territory was fairly well fenced in. If they went past Biloxi, Mississippi to the east, they were infringing on the Fuller's southeastern and continental territory. If they went any further north past Jackson, Mississippi and Greenwood and Greenville, Mississippi, they were infringing on the southern part of Jerry Jarrett's Memphis territory. If they went any farther east from Mississippi, then the same thing, Alabama, they were infringing on the northern part of Fuller's territory. If they went any farther to the west past Houston, then they were infringing on either world class in Dallas, which they ended up eventually doing, and or, depending on the time period, Blanchard's Southwest Wrestling, which was running for part of that time. And honestly, you couldn't go much further north of Oklahoma, because then you're into Kansas and the goddamn plains, and then the distances are just so great, you couldn't do a driving fucking loop. So, But I'm not talking expansion. I'm talking towns that are actually already in the existing territory that are no, not there No, there wasn't, there wasn't a goddamn—there was not—in that area that Watts had, there was not a single town that had a television station, a single TV market that, that Watts' TV was not on in. And there was not a town of any size that he wasn't running regularly. You can say, well, why didn't they ever do a spot show in— Bogalusa. Oh, they did once. It did fucking 4,000 people. But, you know, there wasn't in that territory, in the core of it, that's what I'm saying, besides, you know, the upper parts of Oklahoma and Arkansas and just the distances you had to cover started making it less cost effective. There wasn't a good town in that territory they didn't run. I mean, I wish they'd have given up I don't know why they stuck with Beaumont, Texas. It was a favorite of Paul Bosch. Beaumont wouldn't fucking draw. Houston was doing incredible business, and Beaumont, the scaffold match, drew, I think, 1,800 people. And that was the biggest house we ever saw there. Was that disappointing, though, still? Yes. I don't want to go to Beaumont, Texas was... Uh, it was uh, 60 miles from Houston, closer to Alexandria where we live, but still it was 180, 190 miles, 200 miles to go from home to go down and then go somewhere completely the opposite direction the next day. And the house is fucking 11 grand. We're going to make 150 bucks or whatever. Eh, Beaumont sucked. Nice building. But most of the time they ran it on a Sunday afternoon. I don't think that helped. What about the Memphis territory? Any towns that 
they couldn't get in or you're surprised they didn't run more often? Um, I think probably just because it would have made it too. there weren't enough nights in the week to do it right. I think they could have done great in Chattanooga because the, it ended up the Georgia office took after Nick went out of business. Jared had tried a time or two, tried once to compete with Nick in Chattanooga and then uh, tried once to start it up after Nick was out of business, but the Georgia office ended up co-opting Chattanooga, Tennessee, because it's only two hours up the interstate from Atlanta. And I think, you know, because that had always been a, a Tennessee territory and a Nashville booking office town since back in the early 50s. If they had really tried when they, if they could have got good television and when Lawler was, you know, not hurt or whatever, and they had a good crew in, they probably could have done something with Chattanooga. They tried going to Cincinnati. It didn't work. And that town fit Crockett better. And honestly, they were kind of hemmed in also. They, Jarrett was going to try Indianapolis working with Bruiser when Bruiser's territory was aging out. It was the fall of 82. And Bruiser made a deal. We'll put your TV on up here. Just use Spike and Steve. Wilbur's son-in-law, Steve Regal, and Bruiser's son-in-law, Spike Huber. And you can run the territory. Except when they booked Thanksgiving 1982, Bruiser was in the main event against Kamala and beat Kamala. And, you know, wanted to still be the top guy and Jarrett pulled out of it. And they hadn't done any business up till that point. They were kind of landlocked also. Where Jarrett made out when he made his original move in the late 60s to open up his own towns and book Memphis for Nick and Roy, this whole band of towns across Interstate 64 was had been dark for years. Evansville, Indiana, Louisville, Kentucky, Lexington, Kentucky. And that's why Phil Golden's All-Star Wrestling with Angelo Poffo is one of the top heels had tried to open those towns in the early 70s and run opposition to Jarrett. And that's why that when Poffo came back and had his sons with him and opened up ICW, that's the stretch. They, they had contacts there, and they knew that those towns had been dark, and Jarrett had come in and opened them up and started doing huge business, and there was potential there. They thought they might could take them away. They couldn't. They didn't. But with a lot of territories you might have a town that you know on the edge of your territory that the neighbor's crew of talent doesn't fit it or they're not doing a good job and you could do it better but you don't want to start a whole goddamn war back in those days and have the nwa involved or get heat or whatever to just take one town away from the guy next door although i think crockett and the atlanta office used to joust every once in a while about savannah georgia because they both would run that at different times. Were there any actual towns in the Carolinas itself that they didn't run that you're surprised? Big towns? Um, not necessarily. Again, Crockett had television in every market in North and South Carolina and Virginia that had a TV station, sometimes multiple stations in the same market. So it was completely covered up. But again, they didn't run the eastern coast of North Carolina, hardly at all. They'd go to Wilmington 
And that was a bitch because Wilmington was 200 miles from Charlotte and they didn't have an interstate then. I don't know about now. But they wouldn't go up to farther north in in, uh, eastern North Carolina and the Outer Banks and all that. And Richmond, they did a lot of spot shows on the western end of the state. But they didn't do a lot on the eastern end because, again, that was so far from Charlotte. I remember one night they booked Charlottesville, Virginia, which was, I think, 360 miles from Charlotte. And we had to be back and at the airport in Charlotte to catch the flight to go to Atlanta TV at 9 o'clock on Saturday morning. So we we drove back and got back at like 5 in the morning, went home, changed bags, and went to the airport. Those towns were tough. Roanoke, uh, Richmond, and Norfolk, and Hampton ran regularly. And then any spot shows in Virginia were more like on the end where you could just bop up from Charlotte rather than going out to the western part of the state or up toward Washington. And same thing, eastern North Carolina. There were towns out there that didn't see wrestling live a lot, but they just didn't have fucking time. But basically, there there was some towns that just, they didn't have time to run because they ran so many and they had so many good towns. I'll tell you, one in North Carolina that I was, at first I was surprised they didn't run, and then I realized why and was told about it. Winston-Salem, North Carolina. 30 miles from Greensboro. Greensboro at one time was the biggest drawing city in the United States per capita for wrestling in terms of population versus the crowds they were drawing. 30 miles away, Winston-Salem, big convention center, big arena, didn't draw shit, wouldn't draw flies. And Crockett would run it, I think I was there twice. And it just, for whatever reason, now that was the home base of the IWA, the opposition promotion in the mid-70s. And and they, you know, ran that building regularly, and that's where they based out of, but... they didn't make it. They didn't do enough business to put Crockett under. So I don't know why, but Winston-Salem would not fucking draw. And 30 miles away, Greensboro, you had to beat him off with a stick. But it's, but that's probably the only town of any size in North and South Carolina and really Virginia that that Crockett didn't not only run, but do huge business in at one point or another. Jim, our next one is actually not a question, it's a story, but I want to see if this story triggers anything from you. This was sent okay. to cornydrivethrough at gmail.com from Alex, and I may pronounce this wrong, I believe it's Gusavage, but I may be wrong there. For years, my dad told the story of a Serbian manager who snapped at the crowd in Serbian. I asked if he knew who Bronko Lubic was after all the references on the podcast, and oh. my- and my dad, being 100% Serbian, said, of course, and that I knew the story. He thinks it was the Milwaukee Arena, but it looks like it happened at the Southside Armory sometime in the, late, in the mid to late 50s. Lubitsch was managing Angelo Poffo, and the Serbs in the crowd were getting out of hand. They were apparently getting so out of hand that Lubitsch broke kayfabe and yelled in Serbian to the crowd, what the hell is wrong with you people? Don't you know this is fake? (laughs) My grandfather and the other Serbs in the crowd were so taken aback they swore off wrestling after the Lubitsch explosion. My dad, with better judgment, did not 
at least until the Attitude Era. The story fades as the generation does, but I've heard it for over 40 years, and I haven't seen it anywhere before. I hope you enjoy it. So, Jim, this story about Bronco Lubich apparently in Serbian yelling at the Serbian fans, <laughs> breaking kayfabe, what do you think of this story and any other stories of a guy just losing it with the fans and trying to plead with them to relax? Well, I can I can believe it because knowing Bronco Lubich, he was such a nice man. And I it, when he first said the gas in question said Serbian, I'm trying to Serbian. I'm trying to think from Serbia, obviously, but I'm trying to think who was Serbian. And then I, when you mentioned Bronco, yes, he, he I guess. Serbia is somewhere in a language of relation to like Ukrainian and Russian and Polish. And in that part of the world, they kind of sound alike, right? Maybe now I've made myself sound ignorant to a linguistics expert out there. I don't know if I'd say they sound alike, but it's... Well, but I mean, the accent, I guess is what I'm saying. The people that have that accent. I'm I'm still, I've dated several Serbian women, so I'm not going to even. You have? I don't even know if besides Bronco, if I've ever met anybody that was Serbian. So, okay. So I don't know. Go to Astoria. You'll meet plenty of them. Well, so when they scream your name out at the top of their lungs, what does the accent sound like? I'm not going to respond to that. I will say they have a wonderful dish called Burrick, which is like a, uh, it's like a meat pie. But anyway, go ahead. A burrow? A burrick, I think, or a burak, or something like that. Uh, the, the burrow has meat to it also. Nevertheless, Bronco Lubich, I can believe him doing because those old Chicago crowds in those days, I'm sure, were quite rowdy. And I can see him do it because he, he had a great sense of humor, and he had that twinkle in his eye, even though when we knew him in Dallas, he was, you know, older and couldn't get up and down as a referee anymore. So on the spot shows, he would count like the horse counts with his foot, you know, one, two, three, or whatever. But um, Bronco did manage Angelo Papo and and in those days, and Chris Markoff later on when they were the uh, the tag team combination, right? But um, I guess, you know... Those kind of things, those stories, they never exist on tape. You ask if there was any other instances of that. They never exist on tape because in the old days you had riots not at TV tapings, but in the house shows where there were no cameras. And that's why that Ox Baker, Ernie Ladd, you know, riot that got caught, they had the film camera in the arena and happened to do it because they were shooting an angle. But I'm sure at one point or another there's been... A lot of guys go, what the fuck's the matter with you people? You know, or scared in that position or whatever, or bailing out with people chasing you and swinging sticks and bats and trying to run you over or whatever the fuck. But we don't have, except for firsthand accounts like that, we don't have, you know, the documentation. But on, I don't know if the... The kerfluffles that me and the Midnight Express or any of my guys have been in where we were actively talking to the people like, what the fuck's the matter with you? You did, because at that point, they've kind of lost it. It's too late. They're not really going to listen to you anyway. We were more like cussing and swinging and trying to get out of there. But Bronco was a heck, and Bronco was more important to the Dallas wrestling office than a lot of people realize. He wasn't just a referee. He was like a mentor and kind of, I don't know, a father figure because the ages, but he was very, very close to Fritz, and he was a father figure for the boys at least, and was very good with his money, had saved his money 
invested in real estate, always reading the fucking stock pages of the newspaper, was very well off and did that because he loved the business. He still refereed at that age. Jim, our next question sent to corny drive through at gmail.com comes from Belinda in New Jersey. Brutus Beefcake was asked on a recent video about Hulk Hogan's black eye, and he told some huge story about him being on a wave runner and a tide, and the wave runner ended up hitting him in the eye and breaking the bones around his eye. The comments were hilarious. What? Wait, was this when... Before WrestleMania, when Savage punched him because he found out that Liz was staying with Hogan and Linda? The comments were hilarious, most saying that he made up the story and it was Randy Savage that gave it to him. What do you think? I love listening to you and thank you. What do I think? I think that Beefcake's the one that got his face bashed in by somebody on a jet ski or the parasail or whatever the fuck it was. Now he's run into Hogan with a goddamn, what, a wave runner or surfing board or surfing bird or whatever. No, that's not what happened. I mean, it's not what we think. It's not what happened, right? Well, again, we only know what the stories are that are What everybody has said for the last 30 fucking years, that's all we know. Now, you got to the company just a few months after this, in the summertime. Were they talking about this then? Well, when I first walked in, everybody wasn't screaming, hey, did you hear that Randy punched Hulk? But no, I've heard that story shortly there afterwards, and that's the story that I've heard ever since then. And and it's not been... I've, I guess Hogan has disputed it sometimes, but I've never heard Beefcake's alternate version until now. So, But I have heard from many other people who were around and involved in the situation that the first story was a little more accurate. We just went through everything with CM Punk and the Young Bucks, and obviously the outcome everyone's expecting is that CM Punk will no longer be with AEW, the Young Bucks and Kenny Omega won't be working with him any longer. After this incident at WrestleMania 9, or around that period of time, Hulk Hogan leaves the WWF later that year, goes to WCW, eventually works with Randy Savage there. For years, as a team, against each other, they still do stuff. What do you think that says about the idea that here's Hogan, a guy who's known for political moves behind the scenes, and even after Randy Savage hit him, he would still do business with him? Well, yeah, because at one time, Randy Savage was the second biggest box office traction in the business, and at that point, he still was a mega star, and Hogan cared more about money than he did about fucking whether the guy punched him in the face or not. I I don't recall Hogan doing any jobs for him, did he? Not that I recall. Okay, well then that might be carrying things a little too far in Hogan's mind, but no, yes, he's gonna, but here's the thing. There was money to be made. There was millions of viewers to be had. There were fucking pay-per-views to do. So of course, both those guys, having been in the business that long and at that level, are going to work with the other guy because of all that money and all that business to be done. Here's the thing. CM Punk, he might work with the Young Bucks if there was money to be made, but the thing is, working with the Young Bucks won't make any money. It's just having to work in the same company with them. If you put CM Punk in the ring with the Young Bucks, it wouldn't make any fucking money. So it's not the same thing as Hogan and Savage. 
that was a combination that would make money in any company. So right now, it's just the the thing with Punk and the EVPs is they don't want to work with him because they don't like him. And why would he want to work with them? Because it wouldn't make him any money. Jim, our next question sent to Corny Drive Through at gmail.com from Keith McDonald. I was watching Raw on Monday, and there's something I've noticed for a while now. You have Seth Rollins as the U.S. champion. He was the world champion seven years ago. When I watched wrestling over the years, I don't remember wrestlers winning a world championship, then competing for smaller, less prestigious titles. Hogan, Warrior, Rock, Austin, Brett, Savage, Flair, just to name a few. When they achieved world title status, they seemed to stay in that class. But when you look now, half the roster that's competing for the lesser belts are former world champions. Rollins, Styles, Balor, Owens, Lashley, Miz, etc. My question is, was this something you'd see in the old territory days because the belts meant more? Or is this mostly a new thing, and does it devalue the wrestler and or the titles? I feel like it's watering something down, but I can't put my finger on it. Maybe Jim and Brian can shed some light on it. Love your show. Love your action figures. Thank you for your time, guys. You know, here's again, yes, the questioner is exactly correct. You didn't used to see that. Now you do. And I mean, there was some, obviously, after Harley Race was the NWA world champion the first time in 73, he went back to the Central States promotion, which he not only was the top star of, but had a piece of, and he was the Central States champion. And uh, the Missouri title used to be the stepping stone to the NWA world title. Uh, I'm sure Jack Briscoe had that, I believe, after he was world champion because that was a prestigious regional belt. But the reason why you didn't see so much of it and the examples that he mentioned is because, honestly, not only the talent rosters were deeper in that time period that he's talking about the attitude era when you had guys like Flair and et cetera that were in that world title level class and stayed there. But also in a lot of cases in the territory days, when a guy had gone as far as he could go, then he went somewhere else and you didn't see him at all for a while. How can we miss you if you won't go away? Right. And so after, you know, once in those days when a guy was, NWA world champion, let's say, then he didn't usually go back and stay in one territory and start over and wrestle there exclusively. He was a star that would be brought to this place or that place. And yes, Dorian Terry Funk wrestled in Florida quite a bit after they were both champions because Eddie Graham, and because it's Florida, Dory lived there. They were huge. Uh, but at the same time, they were constantly going to Japan back and forth and making other shots different places or going to St. Louis. So now everybody's under contract. Everybody is, after you've finished using a guy at the top level, instead of him going away and going to other places or just making appearances in top matches but not wrestling there regularly, they're under contract. There's no place for him to go. 
And as you move other people up into the title picture, you got to move other people out. And then that's where they begin their slow decline. And, you know, the top talent, the guys that are really over and the ones that, you know, are, are constantly of interest in some respect to a lot of fans, they can, you know, they can withstand that. But sometimes it's, you know, they hang around so long, they're beaten into powder. People have seen, you know, everything that can be done with them. The painters come through my wall. All that shit happens. And then they're just malingering around, waiting. And then by the time they do get fired or released, as they say, they're not any good to the opposition because people have seen them in a boring, substandard, underneath position, getting the shit kicked out of them for months, which is probably by design. So he's observant, is the person asking the question, but he's not crazy. That's what's happening. If Ric Flair won the U.S. title at some point, like 88, 89, 90, would it have been a problem? Would it, would it have hurt Ric Flair? It would have felt weird. I mean, I'm thinking about it in my head as I'm saying it. It would have felt weird yeah. all of a sudden him wearing a different belt. Same thing with Hulk Hogan if he was intercontinental champion all of a sudden. Is well, see, okay, you, you picked good examples there. Luger and Steamboat could go back and forth over the U.S. title because it was still an important title and they were main event guys and it worked. But Ric Flair, the only way he would go for the U.S. title is if he wasn't the world champion already. And if he wasn't the world champion, Flair had established himself as B. I got to be the man. To be the man, you got to beat the man. I, it wouldn't have looked right to the fans or felt right for Flair to go after anything but the world title, just like Randy Savage or Roddy Piper, you could see them in an intercontinental title match, either defending or challenging for. But like you said, you couldn't see Hulk Hogan going for the intercontinental title. If he wasn't the world champion, he needed to be the guy going for it. That was his motivation. All right, Jim. Well, with that, the drive through has closed. Let's get a song or two. We've got a lot of songs that have been sent in over the last several days. Let's see if there's any of these that sound interesting. And <laughs> Let's see if you can find one of all those you just talked about. Well, here's one right here, Jim. Let's try this. This one is from Gabriel, the Italian from London, England. Let's go to this. Show me, baby. 
down and playing this out are you the only one i i was afraid to say is it my ears is it the mix i understood him when he sang your name that's the only thing i understood and then i heard arcadian vanguard at some point and then i heard ha that was it ha (laughs) maybe it's the muddy mix but i really could not um i didn't i can't give that one a fair shot which is kind of indicative of this whole program, if the people only knew what the fuck's going on. Well, there it is, Jim. Another one from Gabriel, the Italian in England. And with that, where is this thing? The drive through is closed. All right. Something soothing here at the end. Won't be any more soothing shit this weekend on the Jim Cornette Experience. Wherever you find your favorite podcast, and right back here next week on this here drive through of course, you get access to the archives of the drive through and the experience, patreon.com slash cornet. $5 a month gets you access to the archive going back to the beginning in 2013, patreon.com slash cornet. You can subscribe to the official Jim Cornet YouTube channel. Just go to YouTube and search for Jim Cornet. It'll be the first thing that pops up. Full episodes, clips of episodes, omnibus collections, all with the exclusive Travis Heckle artwork, the official Jim Cornet. YouTube channel. You can follow Jim on Twitter at the Jim Cornette. You can follow me on Twitter at Great Brian Last. You can hear me on the 605 Super Podcast at 605pod.com or available wherever you find your favorite podcasts. And of course, The Wrestling News at thewrestlingnews.com or available wherever you find your favorite podcasts, Arcadian Vanguard's The Wrestling News. Jim, what's going on at Cornette's Collectibles at jimcornette.com? A veritable cornucopia of cornet merchandise at jimcornet.com. Just log on and feast your eyes and fantasize. At jimcornet.com. Of course, the drive through is brought to you by the law office of Stephen P. New, 888-692-8084. Get even with Stephen at newlawoffice.com. But until this weekend on The Experience, and next week right back here on the drive through. For Jim Cornette, I'm the great Brian Last. Thank you, Jason Accarado. Tellio! Well, it's Jim Cornette's drive-thru. Yes, it's Jim Cornette's drive-thru. Please shut up and listen while Corny is shooting. 
Yes, while Courtney is shooting, I'd pick fucking Putin and those outlaw macho fucks. Joey Ryan, the young bucks, the rednecks and dumb fucks, and them dork order bum fucks. And then there's Jelly Janella and Santino Marella, the boogeyman, the boogeyman, the boogeyman. Ponies drive through. Ponies drive through. Through. Well, it's all elite wrestling. Tony Khan is investing his billions of dollars in some dumb cosplay wrestlers. Yeah, they think they are wrestlers in video games just like Kenny Omega. To the pro wrestling for which he stands. No blow up dolls, kick spots, or dance routines with blood, sellouts, and shoot angles for all. And have you heard about Riho? She weighs 45 kilos and she's their champion. She's a Japanese schoolgirl. All the Japanese schoolgirls like Kenny Omega love to play with his Sega. Yeah, they play with his Sega. You need to sue the guy for you, Steven Pierre. Everybody, Tony's drive-through. Tony's drive-through. Tony's drive-through. Tony's drive-through. And now, here are your hosts, Jim Cornette and the great Brian Lass.